Hi everyone, it's uh, Daniel here. I just want to remind you before we begin this uh, this next volume of the Puro Puri podcast that you can find us on Twitter at Puro Podcast and you can find us on Facebook at Puro Puri. And we also um, have uh, a new addition uh, to the um, the uh, well the Puro Puri podcast media empire. Um, we have a website um, that is run by myself, David, George, um, and uh, lots of other people. I say run by us. I don't actually have anything to do with the running of it. Um, I am going to post some stuff on it at some point, but yeah, it's mostly the other guys. But you can find us through there as well. It's called I Maintain the Double Foot Stomp is Silly. That is I Maintain the Double Foot Stomp is Silly. Long story. Uh, and you can find us at I Maintain the Double Foot Stomp is Silly.com. Okay, uh, other than that, you can get us on SoundCloud and of course iTunes. If you go on iTunes, give us a nice review. Always helps. Okay, I'll shut the fuck up and here's the next episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Puro Puri podcast. You've you booked it up already, yeah. dude. Fucking idiot, man. Fucking hell. Oh, it's episode four. What happened? Remember, it's one, two, and is three. It? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Right. Leave this yeah. in. Okay. This is gold. <laughs> it's <laughs> going <laughs> into the end. Other than that, though, I mean, I have to say, I thought the delivery was velvet. <laughs> velvet, um, yes, it was and, velvet. And it was, yeah. Um, like a like a particularly soft caramel on a on a on a summer's day melting on a park bench. Like a pair um, of tenants velvet. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so. And we're gonna have to everyone. do this between uh, each. Oh fuck, right. <laughs> no, that one's your fault. Podcast. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm here with my compadres, uh, George and David. And in Hello. this episode, we are going to be talking about a fairly large subject, and we've got <laughs> a lot of matches to go through as well. Um, George, do you want to sort of just give us a little brief introduction to, as, as to what we're going to be talking about in this episode, what the theme is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you've had any exposure to American wrestling in the past, then you'll no doubt have heard of the uh, NWO storyline from the <coughs> 90s. Um, the idea of an invading stable coming into a promotion and trying to reshape it to their will or even to uh, to shut it down. Some sort of uh, wrestling Trotskyism, if you will. And um, But what you might not know is that the WCW versus NWO storyline was actually based, um, I wholesale lifted, um, from a Japanese feud, which is New Japan Pro Wrestling versus Union of Forces Wrestling Forces International, or UWFI. And uh, this feud happened between 1995 and 1996. So really what we're doing is, and this really is one of the most famous feuds in Japanese wrestling history, what we're going to do is go back to this major feud and 
trace it and really have a think about what this can tell us about invasion storylines and about the particular type of wrestling in which um, UWFI engaged in. So I'm just going to talk for a little bit about the history of invasion storylines in Japanese wrestling. Now, yeah, in a okay. sense, in a sense, um, the idea of invasion is as old as Japanese wrestling itself. It was always about Japan versus America at the start. For the first two decades of Japanese wrestling, it was really unusual for the main event of a wrestling show to have two Japanese wrestlers against each other. The vast majority of the time, it would be Japan versus America. But as far as wrestlers from other promotions coming in, um, that <coughs> didn't really happen so often. Um, some of the early Japanese wrestling involving uh, Rikidozan, the father of Perosu, um, involved an invading wrestler. Not an invading promotion, but just the one wrestler. His uh, famous match against uh, Masahiko Kimura, where he uh, double-crossed him by chopping him very hard in the windpipe when a, a draw had been agreed. Uh, Kimura, at the time, this was 1954, was promoting his own shows. The next year, he had a match against a guy called Toshio Yamaguchi, who promoted a rival wrestling promotion and of course Rikidozan being by far the most well-known wrestler went over in that but as far as promotion versus promotion feuds go to the best of my knowledge the first one of those was in the early 1980s and that was New Japan versus IWE which is a promotion that had fallen on hard times financially and really oh, yeah. by, by 1980s especially yeah uh, oh yeah I mean it didn't live for too long after that feud and indeed this is uh, something we can talk about later in terms of New Japan versus UWFI but IWE really down on its luck and to try and keep afloat and draw up a bit more interest in the promotion entered into this cross-promotional rivalry with New Japan so that's really where it all uh, started and New Japan had a few interpromotional feuds there was the feud with the uh, UWF in the late 80s We'll talk about the UWF more in just a little while. And what has been proved in the history of Japanese wrestling is that promotion versus promotion invasion storylines draw a huge amount of money and interest. We've seen it um, even very recently, uh, the last New Japan show, where uh, Okada defended the title against Marafuji, who'd come over from Noah. And that got them a, a higher attendance than they usually get at Sumo Hall because of the interest of someone from another promotion coming in and trying to win the belt. Well, saying that as well, um, did you did you watch? I don't. You know, you probably don't because you're in, you're inclined not to. But um, did any of you watch the eight man with Shibata from that match? Oh, oh yeah, no, I, I, uh, they, I, I, uh, they hated Noah. They hated him so much. It was oh, unbelievable. The, um, um, I, I've not seen this show yet um, because just so as people know where I stand at the moment. I'm probably as down on the current New Japan product as I have been for a while, um, so mm. I've been taking a little bit of a break from it, just so I can um, kind of get my batteries recharged for in time for Wrestle Kingdom, because um, I don't want to be sort of um, too burned out uh, by the time yeah. I get there, because that's one of my favourite shows of the year. So just f fill me in a little bit on this. Was this the... Um, I know they've been having the guys from Noah coming over. Was so, this the Suzuki Gun guys? Or? You know, no, no this was Noah. It was Shiyazaki, no. Maybach Taniguchi... Oh, okay. And Nakajima. Nakajima and All somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's okay. uh, Kitamiya. Kitamiya, that was it. Yeah. Oh, um, right, okay. And so they were actually quite a lot of guys I like in that. Yeah, and they were mm. up against um, the, the four old, the, the old guards, isn't Nagata, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nakanishi. 
Um, ah. And yeah, like the the crowd just booed Noah constantly throughout the match, just nice. incessantly. The the heat's fantastic, and after the they've done this match a couple of times, and after each one, they've just had this wild pull apart brawl that brought to mind the glory days of Franny Lee and Norman Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant because I I thought you were gonna craft because I I love a brawl and I thought George was gonna make some like a uh, lucha reference or some Memphis <laughs> reference. I was gonna make but a Blackburn made... Rovers reference, my favourite brawl of all time. <laughs> Is that David Batty and Graham oh, Masso? Yes, and uh, yeah, yeah, in the Champions League, yeah. yeah. That's great as well because it's got such a great sort of um, heel face dynamic as well because um, <laughs> basically basically Batty is like the heel Sean Bean. Um, and then like Graham Rousseau, he's a, he's a bit of an arsehole, but he is the victim of like horribly punishing homophobia. Uh, so like it's 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 it's, it's quite quite a good one that. It's good versus anyway, evil. that's our um that's our football reference out of the way right away. So there will be more. There will be yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So what we talk yeah so we're talking about the yeah the, the Noah. I mean it's it's incredible because if you look at Noah on their own. They are they are they are useless. They are absolutely useless. They they, they draw no one. They are, I mean, they're not quite impact, but they're getting there. They are they are pretty bad like, in terms of yeah. attendance and just being able to draw people. I mean, they've had some pretty oh, shocking like attendances 200... recently. It's like 200 to 300 people on average sometimes, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for some of their, their, their touring shows. But anyway. when they but for some reason when they come into New Japan people yeah. are interested in seeing them but when they're on their own nobody's interested in seeing them and i mean well even noah yeah. last year they had a bit of a renaissance with the suzuki gun which was an invasion from a faction coming in trying to destroy noah which i i personally was, feel was fantastic yeah, there was some good stuff in that actually i thought there was some good um under the radar um suzuki the, matches in, in, in that. the thing i really liked um, about Na- it was the, stuff, yeah. the whole the whole final countdown thing where if they didn't win the title by like was it like the noah president came out and says if we don't win the title by mm. the end of the year we're, we're shutting noah down yeah and yeah. that that was because you kind of thought well you know they're owned by bushy road now they could shut it down this could be a they whole could just shut it down, plan. yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I I really enjoyed that about it. I thought that was really well executed the way they did that. I um I so, met uh, I met Minoru Suzuki um a few weeks ago at the uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling Show in uh, Altrincham of all the places. And <laughs> wow. Basically, like they had this meet and greet, and everyone was flocking over to um the the people they knew from you know WWE and things like that and uh, Suzuki was bless him like had such a Virgil wrestling superstar vibe at his um, yeah. at his desk and I was like well I love Suzuki I'm gonna go and um, talk to him and I, I was wearing my pro wrestling Noah t-shirt and he sees I was wearing Aww. it and uh, he he just goes you like Noah and I, I went <laughs> yeah yeah I love Noah I didn't have the heart to tell him like well you know i mean no it's not as good as it was in the 2000s and uh, the angle involving your stable has sort of fallen off the rails <laughs> <laughs> you, you see that just that mental image of um of a virgil-esque suzuki um sat in in altringham of all places which is basically where uh, posh people from manchester go to die um, right. smart um, price valley 
Aye. Well, I bet fucking there was millions of people fucking with a massive hard on for whatever fucking bad average Brit rest star it was who was on the other fucking table. <laughs> like, and uh, at these fucking, you know, oh, that's just such a what culture thing to me, and it really upsets me. Like, yeah. I'm glad that you went there, George. I'm, I'm glad you wore your Noah t-shirt and that you you flew the flag. <laughs> I am quite upset though that Suzuki he didn't go. You know, you love Noah. And he go, yes, go, well, fuck you then, Suzuki gun, eat you back, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Suzuki. And then, and then, and then, a, yeah, and then, a, and then a, a literal concession stand brawl ensues. Uh, that been, uh, Get the nasty boys in. He was, um, he was, he was posting on Instagram about going out for a kebab in Newcastle, like, a couple of nights yeah, before. Yeah, I saw that. And he posted a picture saying, I'm not quite sure what meat this is, like, <laughs> dude, like, you're not alone in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That, that is like, a uh, just Suzuki gun with a munchie box, man. Oh, <laughs> mate. Like, I, I reckon he'd understand that pretty quickly. Like, once he realised that it was just, just sheer meat uh, with a slightly damp salad. I reckon that's something that a pro wrestler with their kind of diet could totally get behind. I want to see um, Suzuki just, like, putting guys in sleeper holds in Big Market on a Friday night. Oh, mate. Like to to be honest, if 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 it's just a slightly undersized man with um ex, 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 with superior fighting skills choking <coughs> people out in the big market, you want I can put you on to like three or four five guys that, that do that like at the weekend for fun. <laughs> like, so, um, uh, anyway, we are we are digressing somewhat. Um, yes. Shall we um shall we get maybe a little bit back to um this um you were talking before about the history of invasion ang- uh, invasion angles in Japan there, George. Mm. Right, a little bit. You were sort yeah. of touching on it. Now, is it fair to say that um, these invasion angles really, this might be a kind of, I suppose, reductive reading, reading of it um, from someone who's maybe not as done as, as, as much reading on it as, as perhaps you have, but my interpretation of it was always that this notion of the invasion <coughs> being a big thing in Japan stems from a couple of things. First mm-hmm. of all, um, the fact that pro wrestling, as it exists in Japan, actually was a kind of import from america mm. sort of ju- during during the second world war is that correct and is, is there the an first show of the was, invasion angle that comes from that the first show was uh 1951 which was staged for um american soldiers that was actually when uh ricky dozan worked his uh, first match on that tour that so yes, it's, that, it's I knew yeah it was the first match then yeah yeah it was imported from um america you know there was no tradition of uh, pro wrestling in Japan, it's actually amazing the the work that they did got up to such a high standard considering that yeah, before the Second World War this was not an art form that existed in the country It's it's incredible to think that actually, because I mean it, by about, I mean I, I've seen matches from Japan in the late 60s um, um, you know um, fair enough, it's, it's usually um, uh, Japanese guys up against American guys but yeah. the Japanese guys are, are, are you know, it, Often bettering that the work rate and the performance of their American opponents. Um, yeah, yeah, and that, so, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean to think that there is um, um, such a such a, a relative lack of of, of of sort of history before 1945 of of it even being a thing is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I, I guess my further question from that was, on a kind of uh, social cultural level, I suppose, do you think that um, Japan being an island? having a kind of very militarized um kind of um uh history of um you know in uh of of, of well i guess in the run up to 1945 uh, the warfare essentially yeah um, 
how do you think that affects the, 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 the these invasion angles? Do you think that plays on people's minds, <coughs> in the back of people's minds, or? I think certainly it would would have done. Yeah, I think it would have done certainly traditionally with the uh, the Japan versus America invasion angles. I mean, under the um, going back in history a little bit here, but under the uh, Tokugawa shogunate, which lasted from I think around about 1603 to 1868, something like that. So the emperor wasn't in power, but the country was really run by warlords. <coughs> and in that time, certainly up until the 1850s, um, J Japanese people were not allowed to leave the country and foreigners were not allowed in the country. So it was really isolated traditionally. And th they do have this, I, I think, I, I hope I'm not essentializing here, but like there is with Britain, there has traditionally been a sort of island mentality. You know what I mean? It, it very much sounds like Albania. They were similar um, at that time, where just nobody got in or out for about mm. like, at least a good like decade, if not more. <laughs> just yeah. nobody getting in. And, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't worry about um, in in that sense, um, kind of generalising about an, an island mentality, because I think um, you know all of us live on the island of the the, the UK as it's yeah. at the moment. Um, you know, um, yeah. we, we know a little bit about an island mentality, um, especially at the moment. Um, yeah, Jesus. So, you know, yeah, I think I think we're probably on safe ground there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to mention? Are you are you, are you anything else you wanted to mention about invasion angles before we go on to? Um, uh, no, I think I think the, the the other stuff about invasion angles will probably end up getting to it. I mean, one thing I would say is that. In contrast to the WCW versus NWO storyline, the invasion angles in Japan uh, play out primarily, if not entirely in some cases, through the idea of in-ring competition, <coughs> um, proving your superiority via the number of matches you win. You know, it's not so much to do with promos or backstage beatdowns. You know, um, Nobuhiko Takada never turned up at New Japan and told Inoki to look at the adjective. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, okay, so um, I guess probably considering that we're going to be looking here primarily at the um, the New Japan and UWFI feud, uh, yeah. invasion rather, it might be a good idea for us to talk a little bit about UWFI and specifically the style of wrestling that yeah. UWFI was promoting at that time because that really, I think, is, is, is key to understanding some of the ways in which this feud um, pans out and some of the ways in which actually it's quite controversial as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, for those that aren't up on this, UWFI at that time was um, promoting a style of wrestling which is known as shoot-style wrestling. Um, some people may have heard of this, some people may have not. Um, so I think the best way for, that I would always define shoot-style wrestling is <coughs> um, in terms of, of the way it works out historically, there's a point at which there are a group of wrestlers who uh, leave New Japan. Uh, correct me if mm -hmm. I'm wrong here, uh, Stato, but uh, I believe that this, uh, uh, on the first <coughs> UWF incarnation anyway, that is um, led by Satoru Sayama, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Mask, or is yeah, that yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Satoru okay. Sayama and Akira Maeda is his number two. That's right, yeah, Akira Maeda. Um, now, um, essentially what they're, they're trying to do is they... They're a little bit bored, they're a little bit fed up of having to work in the um, Japanese style which has been adapted from um, American professional wrestling. Um, they are trying to make things a little bit less theatrical, um, they, they want to work a style which is a lot stiffer, a lot snugger, and which for all intents and purposes looks very much like um, a shoot fight. 
um, um, <coughs> you know, looks like what um, would later on become mixed martial arts, essentially. And this is something yeah. that MMA fans, I, I love trolling real MMA bros because I adore MMA and I, I love it to death. Uh, but I'm also a huge pro wrestling fan. And there's a certain type of MMA fan, a certain subset, who cannot um, ever uh, grasp the concept that pro wrestling actually is the biggest influence on MMA. Um, they yeah. they hate this. They absolutely despise it. Did they, uh, so are they still upset that Pancrase is on Fight Pass? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Why the fuck is that fake Pancrase shite on Fight Pass? Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's 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 utterly preposterous. But um, yeah. So I mean, you know, UDFI is is doing shoot style, and they're they're looking to try and make matches that are realistic, that involve a lot of strikes. Um, yeah. that involve um, um, huge influences from things like Muay Thai and kickboxing. Um, yeah. Also, of course, um, one of the big influences here as well is the um, is the, the catch wrestling style. Um, and I'm very proud of this. It is quite a particularly um, Lancashire catch wrestling style that they are... Uh, that they they are influenced by as well because it's um it's essentially um guys like Robinson um, Gotch as well as the huge influence <coughs> here is one of the trainers as well um that, that they've inherited that from as well so um a very kind of um Europeanized shoot style of submission wrestling as well um so they're the two sort of main influences that that, that go into that style um now obviously the finishes uh, the finishes um are are, are all worked. Uh, they know who is going to win the match. There is a hierarchy of who wins. There are there are still things like pushes. Um, you know, one guy getting more wins than the other guy. There, there, there is a there is a pecking order. Um, but essentially, a lot of these matches they might go through a couple of big spots that they may be going to have in them. Um, maybe um, a point where there is um, you know um, some kind of um, suplex used, some kind of um, spot where there, there needs to be a lot of cooperation. But for the most part, um, a lot of these matches are quite heavily in certain sections improvised um, for all intents and purposes. Um, so, shoot style offers at the time a, a pretty um, a pretty substantial alternative um, um, to anyone that's a bit bored of, of, of the pro wrestling style. Um, have you guys I, got sort of anything to, to add on that? That I've been. Am doing? I am I right in saying I could be going totally mental? But it was UWFI on Channel Four? It was on. I think it was on. Um, it might have been on Eurosport or something like that. May have been because uh, was it Bushido? Uh, yeah. It was called. Yeah, it was called Bushido. Yes. Like it got pretty big in uh, Russia, I think, because mm. a lot of the uh, fighters, certainly in the early days of UWFI, <laughs> were from the former Soviet Union. Uh, David, I know this is one of your favourite eras of wrestling when New Japan and UWFI just imported a load of Soviet shooters. Oh, the Red Bull Army. Yes, the Red Bull Army. I I love it. I love all that that period of Soviet shooters is coming in. It's so much fun, and we will we will I, review it at one day. Yeah, we're gonna do an episode on that. I, I, I was I was gonna say we should definitely do an episode on that because I fucking love that shit as well. It's, it's so good. Um, it touched on so many things that interest all three of us. I think so. That speaking speaking yeah. as someone speaking as someone who booked Hashimikov and Zangief to in my EFED for two and a half years and built them to go over every team. Yeah, I can tell you, <laughs> I fucking love <laughs> the Soviets. I fucking love it. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but um, in, in in terms of um, in terms of shoot style, then yeah, I mean that's I think the most important thing to to remember is that they shoot style wrestlers set themselves up as legitimate shooters um yeah. as guys who could submit you in real life as guys who didn't just you know um look good in a, in a pro wrestling context but if they were to get you know um uh, into like into a dirty grimy dojo um with 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 black belts of any kind that they, they would hold their own and, and and submit them that was the um that was the idea which is 
very, very, very interesting, actually, because we didn't really talk about this much on the last show because we were just doing an introduction at things. We were mostly talking about all Japan matches. Um, but I mm. think here it's important to talk about um, the fact that this is very difficult for New Japan because New Japan as a promotion, um, in, in many ways, is built uh, was always historically built around Antonio Inoki. And Antonio mm-hmm. Inoki's shtick was that he was legit. Um, was that um, he was a legit martial artist? So I think maybe we could we could talk a little bit about that and how that how Shootstar maybe represented a challenge to, to that traditional way of presenting things for New Japan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to think if we went into um, on the last uh, episode the sort of misconceptions around the term strong style. Mm. I don't think we I don't think we did know, but it's probably worth doing. I think I think we more and more and more these days. I yes, think we had is. a bit of a grape, but nothing too in depth, so we might as well wire mm. in. Yeah, sure. Well, the idea of um, you know, a lot of people think that strong style is a type of wrestling. You know, it's 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 basically a lot of what you were just talking about, Daniel. You know, people think it's about stiff strikes, uh, submissions, and stuff like that, but. That would more describe uh, shoot style. The idea of strong style is that it was really a promotional <coughs> tool for Inoki and New Japan in the 70s. The idea that pro wrestling was a strong style. You know, it could hold up against you know uh, jiu-jitsu or judo or karate mm. as a legitimate fighting style. Um, and that, so that was really the the idea. If you promote yourself as as strong style, it means that you are legit. Not so much a style of wrestling, but it means you can handle yourself. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that we'll come back, we'll come at this later on, but that kind of notion that you have these two styles, um, both of which claim to be, or at least have their their origins um, um, in terms of New Japan, um, in, in being styles that can stand up to legitimate uh, fighting competition. Um, we're gonna see how um, that becomes a little bit problematic in terms of some of the booking. Oh um, God, I I have. Um, the, the I performances have many great matches later on. Yeah, yeah, it's right. wheels within wheels. The booking in the, the booking in this feud yeah. really. It's, I, um, I, I noticed something early on, right? I don't know if anybody else noticed it, and it fucking infuriated me in every single match in this. And I'm going to get <laughs> to it soon, right? Because, ah, oh, right, carry on. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's that's, that's infuriating. All right. That's all right. Oh, it's going to. We'll be, get to I, it. I'll be, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think, um, yeah, in terms of shoot style, um, other other shoot style promotions that people may have heard of if they haven't heard of um, UWFI or UWF before um, would be promotions like Rings. Um, yeah. Rings is quite famous because it actually ended up becoming a mixed martial arts promotion, a, a legitimate mixed martial arts promotion. Well, I'm, I'm not sure how legitimate all the results were, but certainly some of them were legitimate later on. Yeah. Um, it actually scrapped, um, um, uh, you know, w- work finishes altogether at the end. Um, guys like Volkan, uh, Kyoshi Tamura uh, are very famous from that style. From Zaza as well. Everyone here's favourite. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot of um, a, a lot of good stuff to be had in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, shoot style. It's fair to say these days, I think that is is. I mean, uh, is there really any sort of significant shoot style being done well, these days? I, um, I, I I don't think there's any shoot promotions because I mean the mm. other one the other one that I always look to my favourite one actually is probably Pancrease. I love Pancrase. Yeah. Oh, I love Pancrase. But that's a full-on MMA promotion now. That's got an octagon and everything. It's not even got a ring. They don't classify themselves as wrestling. It's just MMA now. Um, yeah, I mean, they used to have I, a ring uh, back in the back in the day when it yeah, first started. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I think now it, was about, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. I think it was about 20, 2011, 2012, maybe, that they got rid of the ring. 
but they yeah. are fully um you know mma now and i love the fact that it is on fight pass i love it I, I i don't have fight pass myself but i am always tempted just to buy it just to watch a lot of pancreas and pride but um yeah, yeah like that as well and obviously the other one um is it pwfg that is probably the oh. and, and battle arts as well those are probably the big five it's quite mad how many there were yeah. oh yeah like, like well, that's it yeah the 90s I mean, like... yeah like huge diversity of types of wrestling in the 90s not just into uh wrestling was big in the 90s it wasn't as big on tv as a mainstream thing but in terms of getting people um through the gates for live shows and this is something we'll talk about later it was absolutely huge and there was such a diversity of types of wrestling that you could go and see yeah yeah i mean um, you you've literally just mentioned pwfg there and like i I hadn't even really um, 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 thought about that um, as we were talking about this, and that's a that's, they, they had some absolutely fantastic matches in that promotion. <coughs> you know, relatively lived in some ways, but there's matches like the, um, so, some of um, some of Ken Shamrock stuff in, in PWFG. If you've never, if you've only ever seen Ken Shamrock in uh, in, in in the WWE, check some <coughs> of that shit out because honestly, that guy with his with his enormous perm mullet. Um, yeah. Looked like the future of uh, the future of pro wrestling at that point. He looked like he was working a completely different hybrid style that no one had ever seen. Um, this is before and, he, yeah. this is before he was doing like fucking tramp fights in Owen Hart's basement. <laughs> hey, don't you ever yeah. ever d- downplay the dungeon match? That is a work of art. art. When he gets hit with a dumbbell, ah. Oh. <laughs> I, I I'm still holding out for a follow uh, for a follow up um, in which um, someone books. Um, uh, a dungeon match, but they accidentally sort of spinal tap style walk into an S and M dungeon. Uh, <laughs> Jack Jester's a, there with a corkscrew. Yeah, Jack Jack Jester's there on the wheel of fortune. Um, that could be a, that could it, be quite interesting. Te- if Teddy Frank Hart Boff, ever goes to DDT, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. if Teddy Hart ever Teddy goes Hart to DDT, DDT, they they will do yeah. it. They will do it. Get get Teddy Hart in DDT. Get Frank Boff <laughs> as a special guest referee for the, uh, the the dungeon match with Jack Jester, and pro wrestling in 2016 will be fixed. Um, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, so I was just going to say, like, nowadays, um, aside from um, uh, Hikaru, I think it's Hikaru Sato who runs the hard hit shows, <coughs> which uh, are a bit yeah. uh, shooty. He uses guys from uh, quite a few guys from DDT, but he doesn't run those very often. I think, really, the most prominent. I don't know if it, you would call it full shoot style, but. Um, People like uh, Drew Gulak or Timothy Thatcher or Tracy yeah. Williams, some of the people that you see in Evolve, um, people like Jeff Cobb, you know, uh, nowadays, uh, guys on the US indies are actually, I think, doing the shoot style thing more often and in more interesting ways than uh, than people in Japan, would it be fair to say? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, like people I have been, so. pra- oh sorry, people have been praising like, fr- like Fred Yehai, He's the one that's also been really praised, oh, and they've been talking yeah, about him. Like, yeah, 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 a good worker, man. He's a really good yeah. worker. I like him a lot. Um, I know. Um, yeah, the other one, like, I mean, it's weird, like, because you you sometimes see some like shoot matches just every so often. Like, for example, there was a Bassada card at the start of the year. I think it was maybe like the first card of the year, um, or first card ever actually, and there was like this weird Battle Arts Junior match. <laughs> right in the middle of it and like nothing else is like that and it was just this weird match that is all entirely based around the leg and just yeah and it, it was it was really bizarre that it was just it was just there and you know it's just out of context and like the rest of the promotion and even things like you know like the odds like every year when sakuraba gets like a, 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 a an actual match instead of an eight man like you know that those are the yeah. only things you really see it anymore or suzuki or something like that yeah yeah i mean 
as, as, as you mentioned there, I think that probably in some ways for a long time, I think it was quite easy to read shoot style as this kind of, um, or, or view it as this kind of flash in the pan that was more of a kind of um, a, a sort of short-lived curio in, in some ways than anything else. Um, but actually, I think that um, in terms of its long-term influence, I mean, um, you've always, as I've just mentioned there, guys like Thatcher, Gulak, um, um, you know, and, and all that crew that have been based in Evolve are doing um, you know, yeah. grapple fuck is what it's somewhat um, dismissively known as um, by people that um, can't uh, <coughs> can't give any you know uh, love to a match unless it fucking has seventeen backflips in receder. Um, but um, it, you know uh, that it, ha it has been very quietly influential, I think, um, on a whole generation of guys. Well, even I think you could go back and look at someone um, like Samoa Joe um, and um, and Brian Danielson in when mm -hmm. they were first starting out. Um, oh yeah, and, definitely. You know, there's there's that Brian Danielson and, and Loki match, which is essentially um, a shoot MMA match um, where they pull the punches um, from well, like, you know the early two thousands. The one thing I wanted to mention, I, I I really hope you did go. Did you go to the the event? Uh, I want to say it was the end of last year, start of this year. Oh, is this the one in Liverpool? Oh, the, 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 yeah, the ring yeah. tribute in Liverpool where they just had like 16 people oh. doing... Yeah, they, they, it Mate, sounded I mental. wish I'd been to that. I, I watched it. I watched the show. I didn't go to it live, but I have seen it. If if they do another oh, one, and I think they are, you need to go, Daniel. It sounds like... When, when, I, I, when I first met you, I thought... I bet you he went to this. He must have went to this. This is the, the one show he must have went to. It's... I can't remember why I didn't go. I think it was either a money issue or I had to work or something like that. I, I can't remember, but I remember seeing it and thinking, oh my God, I, I need to be at this. And I, even more so, um, um, my, my favourite British wrestler um, at the moment is uh, is Jack Gallagher. Yeah. Um, and I believe, I believe uh, <coughs> who's a legit uh, shooter anyway, and I believe he, uh, he worked the entire thing in a gi. He oh, did, yeah. He wrestled. Right? Um, he wrestled Liverpool's number one, Zach Gibson, in the first round. <laughs> and yeah, oh. Gibson was just in his pro wrestling gear, and Gallagher's like, "No, you know what? I've done some martial arts. I'm gonna fucking show show people I have." Yeah, like, like you know, why, why not? Um, so yeah, I, I need to see that. But yeah, um, if anyone, um, if anyone's wondering about that, it's called Tetsu Jin. Uh, yeah. It was, um, as, as we've said, shot in Liverpool. Um, just, just Google it. Um, and yeah, give them some support because it was an interesting thing to do, um, and I think quite a brave thing uh, to yeah. do in terms of that that promotion as well. So yeah, check, check them out. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure it's really good. And when we set up our Patreon and Kickstarter, it will be purely to fund another one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but it will be between like between us. <laughs> exactly between us and either that or we'll just go to like Moscow or Omsk or something like that and just have a 16-man Soviet <laughs> shoot tournament. I'm just like confused well, sambo wrestlers. I, I've I, I've just qualified as a, as an English language teacher, so we can totally just I I, I will go off and just like live off my meager earnings um, and start um, a, a terrible um, kind of a terribly like a sort of sleazy uh, shoot shoot style promotion in, in Moscow. It's cried out for it. Uh, as to be honest. As I don't know. But yeah, um, fly, flying Minoru uh, Suzuki from Japan and get people to treat him right. Yeah. <laughs> just have yeah. like paid Boxes acolytes lining up. What yeah. is Zangief up Mil to these days? <laughs> we can get, we can get yeah. Zangief. He'll be, he'll be well, I don't know, Street Fighter Five was, like, pretty decent. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I can't, so, believe, yeah, it, I mean, I can't I believe he's based off Victor Zangief. He is actually oh, based yeah. off of it. Yeah. This that's guy that, got that, so that, over as, like, what a wrestler should look like that, like, they <laughs> named a video game character after him. 
And every time yeah, he is, it's... every time Zangief is mentioned, I have to tell my wife that he's based on Victor Zangief. The fact she has no fucking idea who he is. He has, <laughs> That's based on Victor Zangief, don't you know? She's like, what? <laughs> but they, they they did the same thing with um with like Sagat. He's he's based on um on an actual um uh, Nakamoy. I just can't remember um I can't remember which one it is, but it, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure he's actually based on um on a real Muay Thai fighter as well. And of course, um, isn't M Bison so... meant to be a rip off of Mike Tyson? Wasn't that the thing? It was originally going to be, and then they had to change it for like copyright issues because Mike Tyson threatened to sue them. But then they've got the other guy, who's also um, who's the boxer guy in it? Uh, oh, oh, there's a boxer dude in it. Bal- oh yeah, Balrog? no. Ba- Balrog. Is that is that what? that guy in Street Fighter? A Balrog. Balrog. Balrog's in Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, there is a no, no there a, is a Balrog in Street Fighter, is there not? I'm gonna check this. I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't care about Lord of the Rings. We can always cut this out. It's okay, but I do. I was gonna say this is so getting cut. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going in the trappy psychedelic part of Balrog. the end. Balrog. How is yes. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's called Balrog. Yeah. And he's he looks he looks kind of Tyson-esque, sort of, I guess. Um, in a way, as in yeah. terrifyingly large sort of. Oh no, actually, he's got a bit more of a Victorian gentleman thing going on in some of these ones I'm looking at. Um, <laughs> okay, they they've, they they maybe changed that. I'll be honest. The last Street Fighter game I played was Street Fighter Two Turbo for the SNES. So um, nice. Uh, <laughs> that's about yeah. Anyway, well, okay, right. Um, before we go on, I just wanted to mention this because I was reading up on Bushido just while we were talking, and the some of the places that this has been shown on in the UK is incredible, right? So it was shown in Eurosport, as you said, as well as Bravo, right? <laughs> Bravo had it. Classy. Oh, Apparently, God. it was shown in Channel Five. Very late at night with the Argentinian football at some point, and as well as that, was that was that was that um, possibly sandwiched in between the Argentinian football and an episode of either Hotline or Compromising Situations? <laughs> um, the, the, my, my, my 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 two favourite of all the um, uh, quote unquote erotic dramas uh, that Channel Five used to show. Um, I don't many, know, I'm, many, I'm, many 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 and that you don't know. You're a bit younger than me, aren't you? Yeah. No, I'm a Rachel Diaries diehard. So. <laughs> Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I actually, I actually didn't like Red Shoe Diaries as much because it was the least oh, mucky. Someone um, is phoning me. You need to hold on because you're going to un- not believe right. this revelation with it in terms of Nuts TV. So, but <laughs> <laughs> hello, oh, fucking call centers, man. No, yeah. So Bushido UWFI was shown on Nuts TV. <laughs> That's amazing. As in the, the TV channel from Nuts Magazine decided <laughs> what we need to bring in the viewer Bushido from 1995. <laughs> <laughs> All they're missing. Like, but, horny guys was, was fucking show, love, was, like, Gary Albright. <laughs> yeah. Was and it I showed on Men and, Men and Motors as well by any chance? Oh, that would be, like, the, the full house. Well, I seem to remember, I seem to think it was shown on live TV. They showed something on live TV. Do you remember live TV with Topless Darts? <laughs> I remember live TV! They, they showed wrestling, <laughs> right? Anyway, I'm pretty sure they showed UWFI, but I'm pretty sure they showed some really sleazy, like, American indie. I want to say ECW. I'm pretty certain they showed ECW at some point. No, but... live... Live t- live TV showed that really, um... Showed that, that, uh, that British uh, federation that Mick McManus was the, um... Yes! No, 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 the other one was, like, CW? CW something? It wasn't FWA because um, or maybe it was. 
Um, well, yeah, I but they have Mick McManus as the um, as the as the as like the commissioner. Um, what? And they have yeah. Every other match was like a Jody Fleisch match, which is fine because Jody Fleisch is all right. But yeah. like, yeah, it was real like early um, sort of two thousand uh, or maybe like late ninety nine, trying to cash in on the Attitude Era. It's on that um. There's a documentary called oh, what's it called? Two Falls to a Finish. Uh, Yes, that's the one. Um, it, it, it talks about it on that. It mentions it on that. Um, so, yeah, I think that was on live TV as well. Um, but there you go. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, right. Carry on. Okay, so we should probably, um, yeah, we should probably move on. Uh, we can yeah, I think we, what we, we should probably we, do we've is just gone do the, the first three, haven't we? Yeah, I think what we should do now is just basically say how this angle came about, um, yeah. you know, the history of, of new, new, firstly, New Japan's flirtations with bringing in shooters in the 70s and then the history of UWFI its rise and eventual fall yeah yeah okay um yeah. okay well in that case then I'll, I'll just sort of um I'll I'll tee you up for it and you can give a sort of um a lead off if you want George how's that sound yeah go for it okay um okay so I think probably the best thing for us to do now is um maybe get into this um this New Japan um and UWFI feud by giving a little bit um of the background um on the feud itself so um George, um, do you want to sort of lead us off and just talk to us a little bit about how we get to um, the uh, the feud that takes place um, in the years that we're watching it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we've mentioned, um, Antonio Inoki uh, put himself across as legit. And this especially happened in 1970s New Japan. Very often he would bring in legitimate martial artists and have them job to him. People like um, Willie Williams and uh, Willem Ruska. You know, top martial artists who were willing to do a job to a pro wrestler for a huge payday and the um of course most famously in 1976 the i i think calling it a fiasco would probably be quite generous but the um antonio Inoki muhammad ali fight God. which um was actually got such a lot of publicity that um when he met her a few months later uh, queen elizabeth ii <laughs> asked muhammad ali how his legs were from all the leg kicks that that is that is incredible. I love the idea of the Queen watching the Noki matches. That that's so, incredible. So, so that's that's just extra reason for Giant Baba to uh, to hate. Uh, <laughs> not, not not only not only uh, is he his biggest rival uh, from from the earliest days of their uh, of their of their being competitive, but he's also a dirty rotten loyalist as well. Um, <laughs> This one's gonna run and run. Oh. Um, but yeah, the um, the so as I said, the these matches got quite a lot of mainstream attention. But there was a sense in which New Japan fans weren't quite ready for this sort of work. You know, it didn't help that people like uh, Ruska and Williams were not great workers in that they weren't experienced um, at shoot style wrestling. You know, they were martial artists who hadn't wrestled and they were brought in to do matches. You know, they, they hadn't because, you know, shoot st full on shoot style pro wrestling, you know, working a shoot wasn't really a thing. So the training in it uh, really wasn't there at the time. So there's that. It sort of confused fans. The style was very alien to them. And as such, um, New Japan really sort of discontinued this experiment towards the end of the 1970s. It wasn't doing huge amount of business for them. I mean, very famously, the Inoki Ali fight. You know, Inoki got booed out of the building after that, and then and he, you know, he he had sold out the arena, but he'd had to shell out about um, six million dollars 
to Ali to get him to do this, of which Ali saw, I think, approximately two and a half million, which is classic Inoki. Yeah. Such a carny, like... Oh, my God. Like, you have no idea. We'll, we'll get into this. Um, but, I mean, this this isn't where shoot style ends, obviously. Um, as we've said, people like Satoru Sayama and Akira Maeda were frustrated, not not just with their places on the card in New Japan, but also the style they were being forced to work. And so that led to the um, Universal Wrestling Federation, not the um, not the Bill Watts one with the Doctor Death or the fucking um, Herb Abrams one from the nineties. The bungee yeah. jump match. Have you ever seen the bungee jump match? <laughs> I want to I don't now. Know what you mean. Uh, yeah, where basically like, the loser has to go on a bungee jump. <laughs> Yeah, oh, oh no, you're going amazing. to have to do quite a fun thing as a forfeit. <laughs> what a hassle. It's a fucking carnival bungee jump, and it's just it's the most rid- ridiculous thing in the world. It's incredible. I love oh, these. That's totally how I would book everything. <laughs> but there's like no no bungee jump matches in the Japanese Shoot Ref. You know, it was shoot style wrestling, very popular amongst the hardcore wrestling fans in Tokyo, but mm. struggled to find a really big audience, certainly not as big as New Japan, and this promotion came to an end when um, there was a dispute between Sayama and Maeda in terms of uh, the creative direction they should go in. As I remember it, uh, Maeda wanted it to be more to do with submissions and Sayama wanted it to be more to do do with strikes, or the other way around. Anyway, they had this, um, they had this dispute, and this came to a head when, during a match between the two, uh, Maeda gave Sayama a shoot kick right in the gonads, yeah, yeah, and that really, <laughs> um, yeah, that really soured things to say the least. So Coming the, from the, I mean, it, 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 it would do, wouldn't it? Really, if someone just, you know, um, it's nice to see someone else went. It's nice to see somebody went to my dad's fighting school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pull the shirt down over the red sun and just kick, kick <laughs> the balls. Um, so, so after yeah. that got... um, strike to the tallywhackers, um, the UWF. <laughs> was incorporated back into New Japan and started uh, this really <laughs> successful invasion angle where Maeda and his um, his stable of, uh, you know, ostensible shoot fighters came into New Japan and they had, uh, you know, a really heated feud, including um, some absolutely classic five-on-five elimination matches, oh, which I really God, would... Some of those matches are amazing. Oh, yeah, I would encourage yeah. anyone listening to this to seek those out because... The heat for them is absolutely off the charts, and the work's really good as well. What what was the name of the stable? Yeah, it's not. It, it's. Uh, I might get mixed up and thinking it's High Saiyan Gun. Is that the one? Um, it wouldn't. I think it was called just um, Ishin Gun because High Saiyan was the. Um, that's the yeah. name given to the Emperor Akihito. You know, you know how Japanese emperors they get a different yeah. name after they die. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't yeah. come to the throne until 1989. So it was it was something Ishingun. Ishingun just means regular army. So that would be your sort of ah, right, your yeah. face stable. And then UWF would. <coughs> I, I don't. Know, I think that was just called the UWF. Um, but then a twist in the tale. Um, a dun, second dun, dun. UWF arose, um, involving Maeda in the late 80s, and this time fans were a bit more ready for it it met with commercial success indeed i think this was 1990 they ran a show at the tokyo dome and it got i think 53,000 people through the doors for a shoot style show which is which is really really respectable stuff for a shoot style show yeah oh yeah absolutely amazing like but one of the one of the things that strikes me about um 
Because really, there's there's three iterations of, of the UWF, really, isn't there? There's the, yeah. the original one. There's then they have to sort of go back to, to New Japan with the tail between the legs. Um, and then there's um, I think the UWF Reborn is the second one, which you yeah, refer yeah. to. Uh, and then we eventually get UWFI. So it's 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 a bit like it really strikes me as sort of a, a it must have been a, the, the heat must have been off the charts backstage as well because I mean like it's essentially like they have it's like having an argument with your partner. And saying I'm definitely leaving them this time, and then you go off for a few months, and then you, you and then something happens, and then you think shit, and then you get back together for all the wrong reasons, and it, oh, you've not changed anything, and it's all, it's all you know, it's all going to fucking fall apart again. That's essentially what happens three times in, in oh yeah, absolutely in, 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 in the relationship between the, these two promotions. So um, by the time it gets to the uh, to, to the, the third incarnation, which is the UWFI, um, yeah. and the feud that we're going to be talking about today, there are you can just I mean. I know just from reading um, a few things like this, there are sort of rivalries and hatreds and um, and you know real life beef that goes way beyond um, you know just sort of professional rivalry. Um, oh, because, ab- absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it becomes a real kind of battle of um, you know almost a kind of um, ideological battle about the way that yeah. pro wrestling in Japan should be conducted um, and the value of the different styles. Really, is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah, I would th- I would think so. Like, um, I mean, the second UWF UWF ended because I don't think the finances were in great shape, but also there were creative differences, and so it really yeah. split into three promotions. You've got PWFG, which we mentioned, which was Yoshiaki yeah. Fujiwara's promotion. That wasn't that was the least commercially successful of the three offshoots, absolutely. But it did give rise to Pancrase because um, the founders of Pancrase, uh, the aforementioned Minoru Suzuki, and also Ken Shamrock and Masakatsu Funaki. Yeah. They yeah. were PWFG wrestlers who decided to make an MMA promotion. So there's that. Yeah. And there's also um, Akira Maeda's promotion, which was Rings. And I think it's fair to say Rings was definitely the most realistic of the three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I've watched a fair deal of all three of them. And I think the thing is with Rings is that um, even before it went full on, <coughs> full on MMA, they managed to sort of um, just, you know, find these these gems of, of performers. Um, you know, Volkan being the the most obvious one. I mean, um, yeah. to, think, to think to sort of bring bring him over, and then they seem to pick guys in in rings a lot of the time. That I mean, t- uh, you know, um, tomorrow's got a different background, but using him as well as another one. They seem to pick guys that just that just instinctively <laughs> were able to do this style right away with very little kind of um, you know you know uh, background in it, and and that was quite impressive. Did any yeah, of yeah. these promotions have a dojo at all? I believe that certainly in terms of, uh, I think Fujiwara would have been training people for yeah. uh, his promotion. He did rather a lot of that. And did, was Carl yeah. Gotch involved in any of these? Yeah, um, Gotch was involved in. Um, I I have I, I always struggle to know which which incarnation of of UWF he was involved in. Uh, but he was the head trainer. I, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Um, At the very I, least, he was involved in the uh, in the first one. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's 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 footage um, there's footage on YouTube of him training um, um, some of his charges um, uh, during that time. And yeah, I think it's I think it's for the first incarnation of UWF. But really, um, you know, I, those guys once they'd been trained and, and uh, by Gotch um, and, and picked up his stuff. Um, was sort of able to pass it on to other people as well. So his influence remains hmm. throughout all of the UWF. He, he's probably the biggest stylistic influence of, of the UWF as a whole. Absolutely. And so you had a third promotion, which was UWFI, which is the one we're going to talk about. And that, that was probably the most commercially successful 
of the three, mm. they did quite a few baseball stadium shows, which mm. got, you know, you're talking 30, 40,000 uh, people through the doors. And I think, so if I just talk about what made it so popular, um, you know, it was founded in, I think, 1990. And by 1993, 1994, it was really, really big. Um, so the things that made it popular, as we said, a legitimate aura. People believed that what they were seeing was legitimate shoot fighting and they marketed themselves as such. They were saying, okay, you know, New Japan, All Japan, these are this these are fake wrestling, but what you're seeing here is real. It wasn't, but because it was more realistic, people could buy it. And they would often uh, issue grandstand challenges to other promotions, telling them to bring their champion over and we're going to... Um, you know, have ourselves into promotional match. Um, nobody took them up on this, apart from strangely WCW, who sent over the man they call Vader. Yeah, that is at the yeah. UWFI tournament, um, and it's like four. It's meant to be like four nations. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, there's not a Russian person, an American, and a Japanese guy. I want to say Zangief. Uh, Hashimikov was in it. Hashimikov, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that that's great. That that tournament, the one that I'm thinking of, is. It's fantastic. Just is, some of it, is, some of is stuff. that the one that's got um ah oh, because the, there's a couple of really great Vader matches from that UWFI run that he did. Um, it, is that the one that's got the match with Takada on it? I think that was the. And there's a Tamura match as well, isn't there? I think no. I yeah, like, I think Takada and Vader had three matches. Yeah, one every year. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of them was perhaps the final of that tournament. That was to crown the first UWFI champion. Actually, this is pretty interesting. They brought in um, Lou Thez, which is probably a name that... Actually, that is, uh, yeah. that is a Takeda match because I watched that quite recently and that is that one. Yeah. Uh, they, um, yeah. So they brought the in Lou Thez. Yeah. Yeah, it was his original um, NWA World Heavyweight Championship belt and uh, Lou Thez yeah, gave yeah. the promotion this um, to act as their belt. Like, obviously, Thez knew this was a work, but he was all about, you know legitimate looking pro wrestling he didn't like what was going on in america he thought that getting behind this promotion would really give it you know a bit of a leg up and i think mm. the other thing that made it um appealing to people was um its top wrestler um who we have mentioned a couple of times already uh nobuhiko takada mm. yeah 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 definitely um, and um, I mean, um now takada started out with the first two uwfs and he um he was he was a he was a very good shoot style worker and he really did very well. And part of this is his booking, but he did very well at projecting himself as the top guy, a really top fighter, and I mean, as a, an addendum to this, a hunk as well. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Total babe, like total babe, especially back. Oh, the really? Um, I mean, yeah, like I think <laughs> I've actually been watching um, a lot of old UWF stuff at the moment. Um, I've um, I've been watching. Um, yeah, uh, it's a kind of um, uh, Daniel. I think it's from the DVD. You're oh. breaking up. Oh, can you hear me now? You're breaking up. Do you want to say, yeah? Do you want to say that again? Oh, yeah. Can you? All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was just saying. Oh, no. um, I've been I've been watching a lot of um of uh, UWF um, sort of um stuff from around the period that we're discussing and and kind of before as well. Um, and there's a kind of um. I get the feeling that these days, when we were talk well, uh, over at Pro Wrestling Only, when people were talking about um, their uh, their top 100s for the Greatest Wrestler Ever project, which, which finished recently, um, there was a lot of the discussion on Takada was that uh, you know a lot of his stuff doesn't um, stand up when you, you go back and watch it. And you're still you're still breaking. You're still up. breaking up, man. Oh shit! Sorry. Um, right. Let me see. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Um, 
Right, uh, I'll I'll well, put it well, down and right. Yeah. Two seconds. Should Shall I talk about um, the sort of downfall of UWFI while you're trying to fix it? Uh, yes, because you can still record that then, can't you, on yours? Yeah. Yeah, 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 we'll, yeah we'll, we we'll can do still that. Yeah, okay, yeah, so... Go, go ahead and do that while I can um, fix it. I might drop so off. So UWFI, really popular... Yeah, go, go for it. Okay, so UWFI, very popular 1993-1994, um, but eventually lost a lot of its popularity to the point where these baseball stadium shows they were doing that they would be getting crowds of maybe you know, nine or 10,000 as opposed to 30,000. And mm. there's really three main factors that led to its downfall. I'll just outline them all quite briefly. Firstly, the rise of MMA. You know, uh, we've mentioned we've mentioned Pancrase. You know, um, UWFI would seem like a real fight if you had never seen a real fight, you know what I mean? Like, it's a realistic style yeah. of pro wrestling. But once MMA started to get more popular, Pancrase was founded in 1993, people began to realise that what they were seeing in UWFI was actually a facsimile of a real fight rather than you know, the, the real McCoy. Um, the second reason was they did have trouble building up new stars. They had three main eventers, really. They had Takada, then they had Vader coming in, in, I think, 1994, mm. and they had uh, Gary Albright, who I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, you know, this huge amateur wrestler from yeah. the United States who was amazing at suplexes and they had they rotated those three um in the in the main event you know you had great Takada versus Vader matches great Takada versus Albright matches Vader versus Albright fucking awful <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, it's dog shit yeah it's just two big lads one of whom uh, Vader has actually no legitimate martial arts background and <laughs> it's basically I mean, I know you said, um, David, once that your idea of a perfect wrestling match is just like two obese blobs running into each other. But I mean, there's good ones <laughs> of those and bad ones of those. Come yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> we need to be still need to be critical of fat blob fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fat blob fighting. That should totally be the name of our promotion that we start in Moscow. <laughs> it's just like smashing conkers together, you know. <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna bake Vader in the oven so he's a bit harder. <laughs> oh, I, need to, I just, I just, just, just butter him up with a nice glaze at the end. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like honey mustard, like it'll, like, it'll go nice. But like of course, some strange health public, public schoolboy ritual. Like, <laughs> but, of, but of course, health and safety will make the referee wear goggles. Political correctness gone mad. It's PC gone mad. You can't, <laughs> even, put, like... you can't even bake Vader in an oven anymore. <laughs> Public school ritual, the ball Powerington Club. <laughs> <laughs> like five people are going to get that. Um... <laughs> well, so... you, me, David, and Stan Hansen are four of them. And Big Van Vader is probably the fifth. So... Fucking hell. And he's probably just going to like abuse us with loads of misspelt tweets, so it's fine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Probably get his knob out. Leave Maloney's brains. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you had that. So rise of MMA, trouble building new stars. Um, you know they really. Um, the problem is giving people a push. Is that you know you can get them to win a lot of matches, but the crowd need to believe that they're they're legit <coughs> as well, and they didn't just get lucky in their matches. Yeah, cool. So it's it's kind of harder in a sense for people to 
buy a push in shoot style sometimes. And the third factor, and I think this might be the most important, was a notorious incident in, I believe, 1995 involving a guy called Yoji Anjo, who was the booker of UWFI. And one of the, I think he was sort of upper mid card, really. Good shoot style worker, not really a main eventer. Anyway, Anjo yeah. decided it would be a good idea to, uh, rather mistakenly, decided it would be a good idea to go to, uh, I think, Los Angeles and challenge uh, Hicks and Gracie to a fight. <laughs> now, now, if you know anything about MMA, you'll know that the Gracie family have been very preeminent in, in MMA, uh, certainly in the 90s when things like UFC were first starting out. Needless to say... Hicks and Gracie was a very, very good fighter. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing yeah. that I think is that Yoji Andrew must have travelled on a plane to Los Angeles. Yeah. Tokyo to Los Angeles is not a, you know, a very short flight. You've got time no. to contemplate, and at no point during that did he think, maybe, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this is a bad idea. No point did he think that. Yeah, he opens his in-flight meal and has an epiphany. I mean, it's 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 a funny thing because like, <coughs> I always wonder. It, it's a bit like this is very much pro wrestling's version of um, Hess flying to Scotland um, at the end of the Second World War, <laughs> um, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like, because you just because there's there's been there must have been there should be if there's any fucking justice in the world there should be books and books and books of speculative fiction written about. Hey, George, that's an idea for you, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, there should be books and books written about this because, I mean, <laughs> even at the time, right? At the time, you know, MMA was was was, was a very uncodified, um, very kind of um, atomized thing. Um, and, you know, even then, everyone, you know, who just was worth their salt understood that you didn't just fucking fly over Fly over to Hicks and Gracie's gym, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and challenge him to a fight. Because you know, fair enough, we could all we could all have a, a bit of, a bit of a laugh about the fact that you know uh, Hickson's meant to be like you know five hundred and, and and zero whatever it is, and he's got this big inflated record. But I'll tell you what, at yeah. that stage in mixed martial arts history, okay, we we we, we, we can all say what we like. That guy <laughs> was fucking legit. Like he was a oh, machine. Yeah. He was not absolute to be machine. trifled with. It, no, it's... no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean. Even if you were someone that was, you know, a, a legit black belt in in anything, like you would have shot yourself at the prospect of taking on Hicks and Gracie at that point. Um, he was far fucking, away, you know, advanced. It's fucking ridiculous. And like, so Andrew goes over to his gym and challenges Hickson to a fight. Um, Hickson says that if they're going to do it, he he brought like fucking journalists with him as well to oh, like bear me. witness to his his <laughs> triumph. And um, Hickson said. If we're going to do it um, with I want people watching, match. oh my god! Like he said, if we're going to do it with people watching, there will be no quarter given. And Anjo uh, Hickson actually thought he was fighting Takada, by the way. And so Anjo <laughs> said, "Oh yeah, fine, I can, I can take him." Um, seven minutes of face pummeling later, um, and fair play to Anjo for um, for actually sticking it out for that long. Like he, he was a tough guy in his own right. But severely I'd, outclassed. I'd have tapped within like the first takedown. Like I'd have tapped just Go, straight away. Like, yeah. I'd be like fucking Art, fucking Art Jimison at UFC One's like, oh shit, I'm on the floor. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But, I mean, um, the, I, I yeah, just I just have two visualizations in my head of this, of the, the last U, the last UWFI show before he travelled over 
and some some guy like other people going, "What are you doing at the weekend, Georgie?" Um, flying <laughs> to LA to fight Hicks and Grace and go, "Are you? Aye, aye." And at no point did anyone tell them, "Maybe, maybe you shouldn't." And then similarly, after the fight, when he comes back with two black eyes, looking like a pound of mints. Oh God. <laughs> And, and, you know, and the rest, but, like he looked like sort of raw burger meat, and not even nice burger meat, like no. fucking Sainsbury's Basics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's some brutal shit, man. But do you think that? Do you think that? Like, I mean, there's a huge risk here that we're three uh, white Western blokes um, talking about this. So you know, kick me, kick me if I'm out of line. But is there something? Because you know, obviously later on, this notion that. Uh, you know, there was there became an obsession with with Inoki, especially of of matching up um, you know uh, pro wrestlers with sh- <coughs> shooters that were just a million miles out of their league and, and that they could never be in you know in a million years under the sun. Um, is there something in here that maybe is a slight reflection of that notion um, uh, that that in Japan, or certainly we're sold this in the West, that in Japan the idea of backing down from any kind of fight once you've um, you know, you've, oh, you put yourself forward would, I, would, would I, be I, would be much more humiliating than um, than sort of not going through with it at all. Is that fair to say, or am I just? I totally have an exact point about this, but we're going to wait yeah. a couple of matches for me to talk about this because this is the thing that infuriates me about this, and I want to discuss this. If you want to go on now, we can, but I have a I have a point to make about this later on. Okay, well, I think we'll leave that for like when we get yeah, into yeah. the into the matches. That's cool. Um, yeah. But I think also can... and. Again, I don't want to essentialise when I'm talking about this, but the idea of a sort of uh, society-based, um, not not just about not backing down the sort of um, the sort of warrior spirit, but also mm. in terms of um, honour, you know. And this is yeah. what really did for UWFI in the end, because there was an expectation that you know Anjo, an upper mid carder, had been absolutely toasted by Hicks and Gracie. There was an expectation amongst UWFI fans that. Takada was going to avenge Anjo's defeat and that he was going to go and fight Hicks and Gracie and Takada being a sensible man knew that he would get <laughs> absolutely marmalised yeah, yeah I was like I'm fucking not um, <laughs> but um, it's you know there was this expectation and even if people um, and I'm, I'm sort of drawing on Meltzer's notes about this feud there was an expectation amongst fans that even if they knew maybe in the back <coughs> of their minds that UWFI matches were work, there was still an expectation that the, at least the top guy in the promotion was a legit fighter. And yeah. so Takara lost a huge amount of popularity um, for ducking Hicks and Gracie for not going through. I don't even know if Hicks and Gracie like particularly knew that all this was going on. I don't know if he particularly cared that Takada was ducking him or not. I don't know if he was issuing challenges. Oh, he just and got also... some cricket turned up at his gym just to. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh shit, who who was that? Right, lads, on with the training. You know, <laughs> but, um... I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, that used to happen though. That's the thing that like you know um, that that makes this story kind of because um, it sounds like such an outrageous, crazy story, but actually, um, Hicks and did used to get guys that would just turn up, um, you know, um, uh, 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 to his gym, and, and and you know, you know, fucking guys that had some, so, you know, some bullshit black belt in Wing Chun or Aikido or some of this, you know, some of the bullshit. Like fucking everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wing Chun tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, I mean, I'm not having to go at people that, that are into that and stuff, but like, it, 
broadly speaking, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of those techniques that, are, that, that, that you know take place in some of those kinds of martial arts have been proven in a sporting fight context to be not particularly useful. Um, no, and, you know, um, Hickson used to get guys that would just turn up like that and he would just mash the fuck out of them. Um, yeah. And often they, they often they would actually become his students, actually, after that, because, you know, <laughs> there's, there's no, nothing more humbling than getting, you know, choked out within 30 seconds by a guy you think you're going to, you know, you're going to knock out in two. Yeah, I mean, it's the the thing is about this thing is that I've I've read a few um the actually when I got interested in this feud and this is going to sound really nerdy of me I presented a paper on reading invasion storylines through the uh, philosophy of Michel Foucault um, at an academic conference so I was having to explain to um, like fucking professors of of this and that what what a Hulk Hogan was in like a previous paper and like what Takada was fucking uh, Chikara versus Gakido I uh, I mentioned that you know so so this is and when I was researching that I read a, a shitload of old observers and there was one at the start of 1995 in which Meltzer said something like the only major office that doesn't have a question mark about it at the start of the year is UWFI and by the end of 1995 it was almost done I, yeah. I just want to mention one thing, just because we were talking about Andrew versus Hicks and Gracie. I didn't know this, but did it, you did it, But I was just looking at a website about it, and apparently, like Gracie was at home, and he got a phone call telling him to go to the gym, and he taped his fists up in the car. Oh God! <laughs> and just imagine Hicks and Gracie sitting taping up his fists in the fucking oh, Ford Mondeo as he gets. Old school MMA is just the fucking best. Like, just pre pre it even being a proper like you know recognized thing when it is just like you know utter utter brutality like that. Um, there's a real kind of um, car crash um, kind of um, you know um, um, sort of appeal about it. Yeah. Um, so the upshot of all this was that Yujiro um, Five really hit a lot of financial troubles, and they approached New Japan about doing an invasion storyline and new japan jumped at the chance for two main reasons firstly it's been proven as we've said that invasion storylines draw a lot of money and interest they thought they could make big bank doing this and indeed they did and secondly they have been infuriated by uwfi's constant proclamations that what they were doing was not proper wrestling that they were not legitimately hard as it were, and they saw an opportunity to exact a bit of revenge. So New Japan said, okay, we'll have you over and do the feud and we'll do a bit of cross-promotional stuff, but only if we can book it. Mm. And that's really where, this is really our first jumping off point in terms of the questions we're going to consider. The idea, did the booking allow the angle to reach its full potential? And in terms of the style of the matches, is it more that New Japan proved they could beat UWFI at their own game, i.e. shoot-style submission wrestling, or that they proved the kayfabe superiority of the pro-wrestling fighting style, as it were. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think that's... I mean, for anyone that wants a kind of... um, Without sort of foreshadowing too much, anyone that wants a kind of similar um, um, kind of example of, of... kind of the way in which I think some of the booking in this became incredibly vindictive 
um, in a, a completely different context. Uh, but yeah. in some ways, I, I actually see echoes of the the the, the invasion angle in WWE. Um, in, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the early two thousands. Um, it's as I say, it's a different context because that's taking a company which has literally been bought um, and is the the new plaything. Um, of 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 the new sort of monopoly on the block, uh, whereas this one is ostensibly, you know, about um, you know, supposedly trying to sort of like keep keep UWFI alive. But um, I actually think that I'll comment this in the matches later on. I actually think that some of the booking in this is is every bit as vindictive and sort of um, small minded um, and wasteful um, mm-hmm. as some of the stuff that that that, that happened in, um, in 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 that more famous US invasion. I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, as I said, I'll come on to this, but yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I have a fucking gripe about this booking, and I'm I'm not ashamed to vent about this. But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> some some of the actual matches then um on these shows we've done plenty of background now um and now mercifully uh, for those listening we'll, we'll talk about some matches so we were watching um these matches on the uh i think uh, on, on the new japan world service um yeah um, all, all three of us i think it's fair to say um so yeah if anyone is interested in seeing these matches um you can find a lot of them on um on sort of daily motion and, and places like that uh, but if you do have a new japan subscription um then it's 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 fairly easy to find um as long as you can sort of use your google translate well enough um so yeah um the first match that we're looking at um is from um the october 1995 uh, is that correct show um yeah tokyo dome Dome. Uh, Mm. the tokyo dome yeah 
Um, so obviously, with it being at the Tokyo Dome, that's the place that Wrestle Kingdom is every January fourth these days. That people might uh, might have seen some uh, matches from there. Uh, a huge um, sort of totemic pr um, place um, in in sort of modern Japanese wrestling, really. Um, mm. And yeah, the first match we're looking at is um, Yuji Nagata uh, and Tokimitsu Ishizawa uh, against Hiromitsu Kanahara and Kazushi Sakuraba. Um, so. Yeah, very interesting to see some people now who are such prominent legendary figures in some cases um, in their earlier earlier career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it starts with Antonio Inoki and his massive chin do a promo. He's wearing a long yeah. black flashes coat. Um, he <laughs> he's ba at this point uh, he about three months previously he had been uh, voted out of office because he was an MP at the time. Um, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Like yeah, Japan's just a place where fucking. Pro wrestlers just go Onito into was an MP. Onito was a fucking MP. Yeah. Hiroshi <laughs> Hase great, is the Minister of Education. Yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> great Sasuke was, was some sort of political representative for um, some, some borough or, or prefecture and, and spent half their budget on investigating whether or not aliens were. Uh, which, which <laughs> This isn't a joke. <laughs> this is not a joke. No, they, it's real. didn't they try to throw him out because he refused to take off his mask? Yeah, I'd love yeah. to see like BBC Parliament and fucking <laughs> Japan just Sasuke in his mask. Oh, he also brilliant. got accused of uh, being in a sex tape because a, se a, a porno got released where the, the man in question was wearing a Sasuke mask. And he That's was accused right. of yeah. having made a sex tape. And he, he, he said, and I believe this is verbatim, you know, translated, yeah. but uh, he said, and I quote, that is not me in the video. Anyone who knows me will know that my tool is not that large. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that thing. Anyone who knows me is if he regularly shows his schlong <laughs> to his mates. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very, it's very um, Mayor Quimby. That could be anyone's ass in those photos. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I very much imagine that um, the entirety of, of of Sasuke's political career is not is not that unlike Mayor Quimby's, to be honest. Um, oh my god! But yeah, so, um, yeah, so anyway, get, yeah, get we've, got, we've got Inoki um, um, presenting things at the start, um, uh, dressed as an 18th century physician, apparently, um, <laughs> sort of, um, um, you know, uh, m making a big deal of this um, of, the, of this huge show at the start. So it, it gives it, a, um, you know, it, it always gives it a real kind of sense of um, a big spectacle, the big stage. Well, so the stakes yeah. are high. One thing I wanted to mention is that the crowds here are unbelievable. They're absolutely incredible, especially compared to like dome shows now, even like Wrestle Kingdom now. Yeah. It must be the way it's mic'd because it's so much quieter than this. Obviously, oh. you know, there's going to be an effect of they are pumped up, but it's so much louder. They, they must have changed the way they've mic'd the audience because there's no other way that I can kind of, you know, rationalise the gap in terms of how loud they are compared to now. Part of it's also that this is a legit sellout, uh, 67,000 people, mm, yeah. as opposed to nowadays at Wrestle Kingdom, they're probably lucky if yeah. they do 30,000, 35,000. So that's yeah. part of like, the crowd is about twice as big as well. So that probably has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah def definitely. Um, so yeah, this match, um, really fascinating um, little match this actually. Um, like many matches on this show, um, I'm sure in terms of um, its time span, but I think that um, looking back on this now from 2016, I actually enjoyed this match probably um, almost as much as anything else on on this show. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, um, I think it was. If it's not my favourite match on the show, uh, it's it's up there. I thought this was very good. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree, and especially if it, I think it, it um, benefited from being first because mm, yeah. if this had been like, buddied in fifth in the cards, I don't think it would have been as good. 
Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, the crowd's nuclear for fucking everything. Even little things like the first time Nagata tags in, there's this massive pop. And there's little things like he's 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 mounted uh, someone on the other team and he sort of closes his fist as if to punch them and the crowd's like just goes and, nuclear for this. And this becomes um this becomes a callback um throughout this this feud actually. Um this um because I think we should probably talk a little bit here about the rules. This is a tag match. And it's yeah. competed under pretty much just standard New Japan um, uh, uh, pro wrestling rules. Because um, yeah. UWFI um, actually had a slightly different rule system um, as well. Mm. And this is another thing about this feud is that uh, they're very hamstrung from the start, the UWFI guys, in a way. Because they are working um, under a different rule set. Um, and they're coming in and working a more um, sort of, you know, conventional pro, pro style here as well. As yeah. well as that, um, the crowd... The, um, I think it must be the UWFI guys at the start, or I'm not, I can't remember. But there's a lot of rope breaks at the start, and the crowd hate mm. it. They absolutely hate yeah. it. They just hate the fact that there's so many rope breaks. They, they boo it incessantly. It's, it's so yeah. Uh, but I think that's part of you know obviously the rule change. You know they're they're using the rope breaks and you know they, they they're trying to you know they're still trying to find their feet so they're just having to use a rope all the time trying to figure out what they can and can't do and yeah um how 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 cooperative their opponents are going to be as well yeah and that's something we'll come to in uh certainly in a lot of the later <laughs> matches involving yes. the heavyweights oh boy will we come oh. to that oh, yeah, the, rules, the rules are um, different um in terms of uh in UWFI you can only win matches by uh, submission or knockout and they used to have this wacky point system yeah. where you started off with 15 points and you lost three if you got yeah. suplexed and you lost one for a rope break they phased that out but mm. so it really adds again to the sense that the UWFI wrestlers are on uh, foreign soil mm. yeah because I yeah. mean at the start I mean a lot of this at the start was just you know it was Kanihara he was constantly just trying to defend he's trying to avoid takedowns so he was trying to kick Nagata and whoever and they were always trying to take him down, and he was using the ropes. And I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's um, it's. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, in terms of um, Yuji Nagata, Nagata is a guy who will be very familiar to pretty much anyone with um. I'd say probably even people that have got maybe just like a sort of passing interest in, in Japanese wrestling over the mm. last um, couple yeah. of decades. Um, a, a big star, former IWGP champion, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, as well. So a guy, a guy who who, who did reach the top of um. Of, of of the industry, perhaps at a time. Also, that, WCW you know, as well. He was, right. yeah. yeah, of he, course. He was yeah. on uh, WCW NWO Revenge, I believe. He yeah, was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, a, a well-known guy, um, but a guy that maybe I think it's fair to say, perhaps reached his peak at a time um, that was maybe a historic low uh, in terms of the popularity mm. of Japanese wrestling yeah. uh, for various reasons that we might come on to later on. Um, and you know. Uh, he's teaming up here with um, Ishizawa, who I'll be honest is a guy who I've seen very little of his stuff. Um, so he's not a guy I can, I can speak on a huge amount. Do, um, do you know who he who he became? Um, uh, it's a, I don't it's know a, if I do. It's a Kendo Kashin. Is it? Oh, is yeah. it? Oh, yeah, because oh, I was thinking, because I've, I've, I know like the '90s New Japan pretty well, and I was thinking. Who the, who the fuck is this? Um, and like, yeah, it's Kendo Kashin, Dragon Soldier B himself. Oh wow! Oh, okay. God. Um, yeah, because I, I, I didn't pick up on that at all. Fucking hell! Yeah, you, you don't re- you recognise him because obviously Kendo Kashin is wearing a mask, and also yeah. in this match yeah. he's wearing a really low cut leotard that reminds me of a blue version of Borat's mankini. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh 
there's, there's, there's a few questionable wardrobe um, um, things that we'll, we'll perhaps come to later on as well. But, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was who it was. Okay. And then um, on the on the opposing team, um, we have just like, <laughs> this is just oh, like yeah. MMA manner from heaven. Um, we've got um, uh, uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, who needs absolutely no introduction to anyone. If you do need an introduction to Kazushi Sakuraba is... Turn off this podcast and flagellate yourself, Opus Day style, <laughs> for the next two days because the man is literally a god. Um, I'd like to put it out there. My hero. I'd like to put it out there. He could have taken Hexen. He could have taken Hexen. Yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got. Yeah. Look, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few years there where I, I will fucking go to bat that Sakuraba could take anyone, man. I love that man a bit. So, like, just love him to death. Uh, yeah. But in, I think the more interesting guy. One of the most interesting guys in this match is, is Kanahara, because Kanahara, I actually think, is presented um, in, in, in possibly one of the, mo- the best ways of any of the UWFI guys in this match, in this seemingly insignificant kind of opening tag. Um, first of all, the guy isn't, um, you know, um, um, labeled with any of these um, kind of um, the, the shitty kind of uh, mankinis or kind of like, you know, um, off the peg um, kind of kick pads and plain trunks that some of the other guys are. Um, he's um, set up to be a legit badass. He's wearing tie shorts. Um, he's um, go, going full bare feet. And the guy is uh, essentially portrayed as a, as a kickboxing machine um, from, from the start. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about Kanahara, you may not know about him in this context, but my fucking God, I totally forgot about this. But when I looked up Kanahara um, on, on Wikipedia, I've seen like a lot more Kanahara than I thought because this guy was never actually a particularly, you know, um, um, all-time great um, mixed martial artist by any stretch of the imagination. But the guys this bloke fought, like... <coughs> Oh my God! Have you have you do you know like the murderous row of people this guy actually fought? <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna have to have a look here. Oh, uh, honestly, right? Okay, get right. Big Nog, right? <laughs> uh, so so literally one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, right? As this guy's division was meant to be bantamweight or featherweight, apparently. Like, <laughs> um, like uh, let's have a look at some of the other ones here as well. Uh, mixed martial arts record. Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, there was some other notable ones as well. I can edit this out. Let me just find it. Um, because some of them are ridiculous. Uh, where is it? Uh, is it him that fought Overeem? Yeah. Overeem, Mauricio Shogun Hua, Dan Henderson. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, Kiyoshi yeah. Tamura. Jesus Did he beat any of these people? Um, let's see. He drew with Mikhail Lukin, one of my favorite rings. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, like Dan Henderson, like, like big. He, he fights Krokop <laughs> <laughs> and, and Vandalai Silver. <laughs> Poor bastard! Is he still alive? It's basically it's like Colin Delaney. Do you remember Colin Delaney in yeah. ECW? Where every week yeah. he'd turn up, go, who are you fighting? It's Big Daddy V or Cali or Mark Kenner. Yeah. It's like, I can just imagine this gimmick with fucking Carrie Hanna turning up from every pride show. Who am I fighting this week? Right. It's fucking Crocop. Yeah. Uh, but like... but you know you know in that in that Crocop fight, right? He takes Crocop's like left head kick. Like and it, and it, and it doesn't knock him out. Like so, the guy, <laughs> so the guy is legit nails, right? Maybe not the most advanced, greatest fighter in terms of technique, not the best win loss record, but a hard bastard. Like if you fight, oh, if you, he's... 
you know, if you step into the ring with any of those guys, yeah, yeah, if you step into the ring with any of those guys we've just mentioned, some of whom are amongst the greatest fighters that have ever lived, yeah. like, um, you're, you're a better man than I will ever be. <laughs> oh, right. And he's he's awesome in this match. Like, yeah, he's great. One of the things I really liked, his kicks look fantastic. But what I really like is, you know, when some people are going to miss a kick, they sort of mm. they sort of pull it, and it doesn't look like the kick usually would. It looks like some sort of weird yeah. sort of Frankenstein thing. Whereas Kanahara, he relies upon his opponent to duck at the right time because if you get in the way of those oh, kicks, God. your head's flying into the fifth row. Like he, yeah. you know, he just does them like he's fucking Julian Dix taking a penalty. <laughs> oh my God! This this I... run there is there's a four fight run. For Kanihara, which is Vandalay Silver, Crow Cop, Alistair Overeem, and then Mauricio Shogun Hua. <laughs> One after the other. Jesus Christ. And, and, I mean, I know, I know he's great in this match, but he's not even a particularly great mixed martial artist. <laughs> no, that's, that's the thing. Like, some of yeah, these guys, oh like Sakuraba, would go on to be an all time great. And oh, he was never more yeah. than a, a mid carder in uwfi yeah. but it turned out he was really great at the uh, at the real fighting whereas yeah. um well we'll come on to but suffice it to say i'm not going to name any names but certain people in uh, uwfi as we've seen with yoji anjo did not perhaps do so well in the no. world of mma no um, no, no that's no. true but yeah um there's um, yeah. there's a bit of the well actually I like the double leg lock by Nakawa and Ishizawa on Canada. Oh, yeah, you can't do that like, in UFC. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, but I know that there was um there was a bit of the end where like he starts grab he grabs Nagata grabs um Ishizawa's leg and just hammers at it with elbows. Yeah. And then he's just just going to town and then fucking Ishizawa comes back with an enziguri. And Nagata ducks it, and then hits a fucking German suplex. Oh, it it's unbelievable! Oh. That's a great sequence of stuff that, that goes on there. And the uh, crowd, the crowd just blows their minds. It's, yeah, it's actually. Yeah. I'd like to talk about this German a little bit because that sequence really mm. illustrates some of the ways in which shoot style wrestling or the shootier style that maybe Nagata is doing um, is different from what you would normally expect. Because when Kanahara gets the German suplexed. Um, he doesn't sell it. He sort of gets back as up as if to say, "Oh, you fucker!" <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the way the German suplex is executed as well is because, say, you get Okada or Tanahashi doing a German suplex nowadays. It does like this lovely arc through the air, like quite high up, and you know, very very nice to look at. Um, this um, I've got it written here. Um, shooty German, not in the sense of like the Bader Meinhof gang, but mm. it's a German where you. <laughs> You know, he gets behind you and you just get dumped. Like, he falls backwards. You go, there's no going flying through the air in this lovely arc. You're just, just straight down. Tossed. Well, we'll come to yeah. another German suplex later on in the recording. Oh, God, I think I know the one you mean. Oh, my God. I think I made the sick. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, that, that whole sequence is, is I think, really illustrative um, of how this kind of clash of styles can be done quite well, actually. And again, yeah. as I say, it's 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 still all the more impressive for it being done in, in this opening match. I think that sequence is um, as good as perhaps 
anything that any of these more vaunted um, guys at, at that stage in their careers anyway mm. do later on because the way in Absolutely. which they it, it's if any for anyone watching this that's just you know doesn't have the time to watch the whole thing and just wants to see the highlights or whatever um skip to about uh, nine minutes and, and 50 seconds into this match maybe a little bit before maybe a bit after um and you'll just see this wonderful bit um where uh kanahara is kind of um uh, trying to fight his way out of a corner uh, by using his, uh, his kicks and his knees and his Muay Thai. Um, and um, it's, it, it's wonderful in the sense that Nagata just manages to avoid all these things by using his kind of wrestling and, and switches up, changes his levels, um, and then just like wraps around for this uh, preposterous, like, you know, um, um, sort of like dangerous looking German suplex. And it pops the roof off the place because it's just a beautiful combination of, of, of both styles, really, but yeah, adapted. Yeah, so is it, 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 it's somewhere in the middle, and I think it works really well. And they build up to the throws really well. Like, mm, but yeah. like, I, you know, I fucking love Jeff Cobb, but like, he does like loads of suplexes in a match, and they all look amazing. But there is something to be said for starting with the submissions and the the grappling, the mat work, and so the first time someone gets suplexed, you know, it really it really counts for something. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's actually quite interesting later in the match. We've said it's it's shootier than you would normally get from New Japan at the time. It gets a bit more standard uh, Perosu later in the match. Um, Sakuraba mm. goes for a figure fall on Nagata, which you wouldn't... I mean, it is a legit hold if applied correctly, but it's yeah. so fiddly to apply that no one would ever do it in MMA. Having said that, I could see Sakuraba um, trying to go for one in an MMA fight anyway, because he was known for incorporating wrestling techniques into his MMA fight, sometimes to his cost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 not something which which would be ever put, you know, applied in a, in a catch sense in, in the way that it looks in, in pro wrestling. But you can certainly get into a position when you're grappling with someone, um, you know, on on the ground and you've you've got a leg lock on them where you can apply something which is essentially the same principle in terms of you know what which part of the leg it, it pulls and which it puts pressure on. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, um, well, it. Well, I was going to just mention the finish. Um, Ishizawa. Yeah, I was going to say I love the finish. Yeah, with the triangle choke. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Sakuraba taps out. Um, yeah, because yeah. he's he's sort of doing palm strikes in the mount, yeah. and it gets countered into an out of nowhere triangle choke, which is it's done very smoothly as well. Like it's great mat work. Um, the thing I found a bit questionable about the finish was that. Um, Kanahara doesn't come to save him, whereas he does earlier in the match mm. uh, when they've got the double heel hook on him. Uh, Kanahara comes and gives a bit of a stomp. I don't know if maybe that's the rules where you know the old NWA rules where you can only come in to save your partner once without tagging. Do you know something? Yeah, I, I watched I a SmackDown a couple of years ago where someone get DQ'd for that. Oh yeah, they, they they fucking DQ people like to like does the storyline say someone I, should get DQ'd? Find a rule that will allow us to yeah. do it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, imagine, oh. imagine, imagine trying to do that in in, in these um in these like Gagano and Champa ver- like versus the revival matches that have been happening <laughs> in NXT. It'd be impossible. Like the whole storylines yeah. are built around you, like you know, saving saving your partner from from, from the fall. I yeah, I mean that was that was a slight issue I had with the finish um in uh, terms yeah. of consistency um uh, involved in uh, coming in because in WFI tag matches again, this is the idea of fighting on foreign soil. Uh, you you couldn't come in to to break up a. Uh, a submission well, if your if your partner gets submitted then you just got to stand there and watch it happen really well i mm. had a big fucking issue with this finish and not just because of this finish but 
I wanted to specifically mention the Sakuraba tapped out for a very good reason, right? I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but fucking infuriated me. Every single UWFI person that loses by submission taps out. Every yeah. single person from New Japan does not tap out. There is yeah. not a visual submission. Fucking hell, really? Every single one. Yeah. And it fucking yeah. infuriated me so much. Not once did they tap out. Like, it was yeah. so infuriating. Because it was like, oh, he's tapped out. And, like, I was going to mention this. You were mentioning about backing, uh, like, the Japanese never backing down. And I was yeah. going, you don't, you, I don't recall, like, New Japan seeing that many submission finishes. It does tend to be, like, pinfalls, especially nowadays. And I was thinking, mm. is there a big submission culture, like, especially in, like, New Japan, of seeing people tap out? Because I thought the whole idea of, you know, not never backing down from a fight, surely the idea of submitting is quite dishonorable in that way i mean the thing is that tapping out in wrestling uh, so i mean the con in the context of american wrestling it was a uh, taz and ecw who popularized it um like mm. making people tap out but um it was a verbal submission um that you would have up until you know the uh yeah uh, sometime in the 90s so i think maybe part yeah. of that is that in uwfi you would tap out whereas i don't know as new japan at the time had introduced that Mm. But I mean, coincidentally, yeah, it did play into this idea of booking it. So it, the it New really Japan me... fighters looked a lot tougher. It really did. Mm. I really that was my overall thinking of you know the New Japan, you know they just would not, they just would not tap. They would, you know, and there is even points where you can't even see them say that they submit, and the, the guy just rings the bell as if like you know like a knockout finish, and they're not even knocked out. It's very dubious. But yeah, there's, like there's one or two where you don't see any submission at all, and the bell just rings, and it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, we can get to that later. I mean, minor quibbles aside, I thought this match was great, especially when yeah. uh, Kanahara was in there. I think that some yeah. of the best shoot style stuff in UWFI is with these clashes of styles. So you have Kanahara's kickboxing against mm. Nagata's more amateur wrestling yeah. based style. Some of the best UWFI matches, you know, um, Yamazaki versus Albright. Um, yeah. Takada versus Hashimikov, you know, you know a, mm. uh, an amateur wrestler versus someone who's more of a striker, or you know, Takada versus Vader. Vader, as someone say, explained yeah, even... it online once, the genius of Vader in UWFI is that you know he's not a fighter, he's vulnerable to leg kicks, but the fucking size of him, like he could yeah. kill you with one swipe of his paw. Yeah, he has oh, an I, air of I... legitimacy about him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, pure, purely from 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 his his enormous size. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Which is a uh, which is actually I think a harder thing to make seem um, you know th threatening than, than than we would give it credit for in, in some senses. Um, you well, know, it's actually quite it, a, that that Takada Vader match is is really well booked. I think. Um, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I think it was when Vader versus Kabashi. Um, I think I was reading a review of it, and somebody said that like. You know, like Vader, Vader's lariats at one point, it just literally looks like he's sticking his, his arm out and the guy's just running into his arm. He puts, like, no force behind it and it mm. still looks lethal. It still yeah. looks... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, just just the makeup of him, you know. He can he can literally just put his arm out and just decapitate someone. It's... Yeah. 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 Um, the... So... Um, are there any more points that anyone would like to make about that match before we before we no, move on? No, I, I think. I... No, I mean, I think that's that's it from me. Um, yeah, mm. yeah, that's it from. Me. So we move okay, on to cool. the next one. This, this yeah. thing, yeah. I love this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next up uh, on this show we have Shinjiro Otani uh, versus Kirichi Yamamoto. Um, so yeah, yeah uh, Otani, another um, another. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that Otani is maybe a figure who is 
more well known to um, um, sort of Western um, aficionados of of, of Puro, mm. um, but certainly someone that within uh, the the context of Puro within a hardcore fandom um, uh, has many an adherent. Um, um, in my view, a, a fantastic worker. Um, he's yeah, great he's, it's, such, it's it's such a shame that like. He looks like the world's oldest, like early forties-year-old now, because like his his hairstyle is is oh, that Christ. of a pensioner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really is like. But um, um, but yeah, but Tanya is a prick, right? Like, let's just get that out of there now. Tanya is a prick, and I love him so much for it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just he's a, he has no interest whatsoever in this UWFI shite. He is he he is just such a prick in this, and it's amazing. It's so good. Ah, uh, yeah. There's, the, there's a, actually the biggest pop of the night so far is not for a submission or a strike or anything like, but like Atani just grabs Yamamoto and chucks him through the ropes to the outside. Pops him to the outside and it is a. Ama- oh yeah, that that's what I put. I put was, yeah, Atani just launches and launches us in capital letters, and yeah, <laughs> uh, it's. it's- yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Like just something quite small like that, which again, like you would never you know, modern day matches someone going to the outside you would never think that that was um something that would get a great reaction outside of you know when someone maybe slaps onto the onto the floor i sort of wince a bit because like it makes a bit of a noise but in the context of the match it's not a it's not a big spot or a big impact but here it really is i mean he tries yeah. it again and the referee like, has to physically restrain him because he keeps trying to just boot him to the floor He's on the apron, yeah. he's and the referee has to like hold him back, or like you know, just leave him. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable, and yeah, Otani, I, I just love him. He, he face washes him early on. Just yeah, that's something he's known oh, for. Yeah, he I does it, that. but I just I was I was just a pop every time for it. He did that in a, in an explosion death match against Anita into the barbed wire, <laughs> <laughs> just against the barbed wire, fucking face washing him. It's unbelievable. Oh, for fucking hell! I, like one thing I, I one thing I really sorry, go on. I don't know. I was just gonna say in relation to that to, to the face washing stuff. I think it's it's particularly um, um, a good example of how. There's some kind of odd um, face heel dynamics that go on in this feud, and I think this comes again down to this thing where, um, you know, guys that aren't necessarily always thought of as you know um, fan favourites in, in in that sense, um, or that are maybe used to sort of um, incorporating quite a lot of heely shtick into their matches. That kind of stuff that would usually be disdained, uh, you know, Otani doing that kind of stuff. And again, here we have again um, uh, a threatened, um, you know, closed fist as well in this match as well. These things yeah, are yeah, rapturously by the by, yeah. by the New Japan be- hardcore because it's against the invaders. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. Uh, it's it's like you know, we, d- d- we don't like that normally, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I, which I thought was really interesting as well. My favorite part of this entire match was Otani went for a sharpshooter, right? And he used the ropes to, for leverage, and the referee oh. caught him. The referee caught him and told him to break it. And instead of breaking the hold, he just stands on Yamamoto's face. He just, <laughs> just fucking stands on it. Just like, no, I'm not breaking, and just stand like just a foot right and in, just digging into his face. Oh Jesus! It, he's such it. a dick. It's brilliant. Yes, but it, I think also what what I was impressed by. By, uh, with Atani in this match is um, I enjoyed when he sold there's a a, a back kick by Yamamoto mm. and he sells it by going down just clutching his stomach and that's one of the things I really like about shoot style the idea that you sell some strikes as more significant than others not so much through the way that the strikes are thrown as by the way that the recipient reacts it's like mm. the idea of you know your, your liver shots in MMA 
Mm. It's yeah. not about the force of the shot so much as like where it catches you. And I think like Atani incorporates yeah. that really well into this match. Precision beats power every time. Yeah, Conor yeah. McGregor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I was just trying to think if there's any, any other notes that I wanted to, to mention. Um, I, I, what, one thing I liked is that um, Yamamoto goes for a cross-arm breaker and Atani scampers across to the ropes faster than I've seen anyone because, <laughs> um, and this is the thing about, um, you know, like fucking Alberto Del Rio in uh, WWE, his run, he could have someone in a cross-arm breaker for about two minutes and they'll just be struggling with the arm fully extended as well. Yeah, and they they will not tap. They'll be still trying to get the ropes. Whereas obviously, you know, in MMA, if someone extends the arm in a cross arm breaker, you're gonna tap, or your fucking arm yeah. gets broken. So they incorporate oh, God, that yeah. psychology really well. Um, yeah, I thought the oh the dragon suplex as well, like the release oh. one that he does. Um, so even though it's shoot style, New Japan guys are still getting their finishes over. Yeah, <laughs> is that, is I, the... also. Well, there, there was a point where I think Otani gets German suplexed early on, and he gives him a receipt earlier later on with like an even more vicious German suplex, and then yeah. just hits a half nail. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, the the the, the, the full Nelson, the dragon suplex, and it get and the the ref is down for some reason. The ref, yeah, take, no, <laughs> no, the ref is taking ages checking to see if his shoulders are down, right? And it, like, oh, it that's the fucking age, was... and he kicks it at yeah. one. And the crowd still go, wow, he kicked it at one, even though he was down for like 20 seconds. They still yeah, that's the thing, I think... I was going to ask so... about this, right, because in yeah. my notes, right, um, and I'd, I'd not seen this particular match before, in my notes, I thought that that looked like it might have been a botched, a botched finish. Yeah, um... I thought the I thought the finish was a bit fucked. This is the thing I hate about the Dragon Suplex, is that um, if the person taking it goes over too far, and they sort of end up on the top of their head... And the shoulders you know, aren't one pinned, or, or both shoulders aren't down. It's really yeah. hard for the person doing the suplex to get them to adjust their position. I saw it recently, um, a couple of times actually. A uh, Nixon Newell, who I think is a fantastic wrestler, but sometimes oh, she struggles. Yeah. She struggles trying to get them over for the dragon suplex. And I've seen it with uh, Tanahashi, who again is excellent. Mm. It's just one of those moves that if you don't get it a hundred percent, then it's going to cause you a lot of problems. I don't know if that was meant to be the finish. Atani just gives up on trying to get the shoulders down and locks in a Kimura for the no, win. No, George, it yeah. can't be the finish because we need to make all the UWFI guys tap out physically. Of course it's not the finish. Yeah, because because in light of, in light of what David had said earlier, that may, uh, you know, when, when I realised that that was correct, I actually, I've been re rethinking this as, as I've been sort of, uh, we've been talking through it. And... It almost looks to me, in light of this information now, and this is getting full conspiracy like wanker here, but it almost <laughs> looks to me like he goes for the dragon suplex, he, the, the shoulders aren't down, he thinks, oh, fuck that up. So he does it again and thinks, actually, fuck this, I'm meant to be submitting them anyway, aren't I? And just like, you know, because there's, there's no real reason it didn't seem to, to go into the next um, to, to go into the next the, the next submission there. So, yeah, yeah. that's f fishy shit as well. Yeah, like fucking wrestling conspiracy like Alex S.D. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> special wars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <gasps> special special delivery tin foil. <laughs> tin foil on a pole match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, but um, overall, what, what do you guys think of this match? Then, just the, um, in in terms of um, you know, as good as the opener. Oh yeah, I, I loved it. I lo I just loved Otani. I mean, he was pulling on their hair 
which I love. Yeah. Just pulling the hair, just being an absolute prick. I love this, yeah. just for a tanny. I, yeah. I, like, I like this match a lot. Um, and I think in this yeah. match as well, there's a particular thing which I've been noticing the more I watch both these guys. I think there's a stylistic um, and a character similarity between um, the great Jim Brakes, uh, the great mm. world of sport British wrestler, um, mm. who hopefully some people that listen to this m- m- might have heard of, um, and, and some of the Otani stuff, because there's just little things he does that, that serve to kind of remind me a little bit of, of that character. Uh, but he's great here as well. Um, so, yeah, that, very that, good. That, 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 that was a fun match. I thought it was good. I, I don't think it was as good as the opener. I think part of it is that I didn't feel that Otani's counters to Yamamoto's kicks were quite as interesting as Nagata's. You didn't get the sort of variety or the same manic energy that you got from the first. Um, the, the grappling was sort of nicely messy, but I don't think the stand-up was as dynamic as in the first fight with Kanahara's kicks. And like I say, the finish may have been fucked up as well. I, I, I enjoyed yeah. it. I think the first match was probably superior, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think largely there's um, that's probably down to, um, to, to Yamamoto there as well, um, in the sense that, as you say, he's just not quite as confident um, um, a worker, I don't think, um, as, no, as no. Kanahara was. So, yeah. Um, okay. Um, we'll move on then to the next match. Um, now, <laughs> this is an interesting one. Uh, match number three. Uh, yeah, uh, we're looking at um, Takashi... Uh, I can never pronounce this properly. Can you do this, George? Takashi, Takashi Izu- Izuka? Is that right? Takashi Izuka. So there's kind oh, yeah. of a little bit of a guttle stop between the eyes. Ah, right. Cause I'm never sure if it's Iozuka or Izuka. Right, I see. Okay. Well, um, actually, I- actually Izuka, if uh, you're, doing the, you're doing the thing with the U that you do when you say, like, Shinsuke, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Well, we'll go with Takashi Izuka uh, versus yeah. Yoshihiro Takayama. Um, yeah. Now, again, um, a match here featuring, um, uh, you know, um, uh, well, certainly one participant who would co- go on to, uh, to, to great fame uh, um, later on in his career. Um, this was an odd match to me, uh, and we'll yeah. get on to that in a minute. But the first thing that I want to mention, um, and this is perhaps a little bit mean, and I don't mean it to sound this way, but... Um, for the vast majority of, uh, of Takayama's career, when I've been watching him, it's been the slightly older Takayama, um, yeah. with his lo- lovely, um, flowing, uh, flowing, flagrant hair. Um, and in this one, he's got it tied back. What's up with his ear? I, he's got yeah. I didn't know this until I saw like some of his earlier stuff. And yeah, he's 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 got he's got one ear. I don't know if that was an accident in in the dojo. Maybe you know how oh like if you God. get your ear cauliflowered, it ends up like. Bursted everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Maybe something well, like that. It's probably that's like the mystery of Kawada's front teeth. You know, we'll never, we'll never quite know. Mm. Yeah. Well, and my yeah. first, well, my first note for this was Takayama looks like a Dragon Ball Z villain. He <laughs> <laughs> looks like one of the Saiyan Saiyans with Vegeta and Radish right at the start. You know the ones. He looks like he should be a Saiyan. He should have the full armor. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah I- that's that's hilarious that you made that note because my note was kind of similar but on a different <laughs> tip. I, I I had that he looks like one of the uh, the Shinra henchmen from Final Fantasy VII. The ones that get sent out in the um like the is it like the, the blue the blue suits and that and they're they're harassing yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you reminded me of someone from from that so that's quite funny that we both got. Um, <laughs> sort of geeky that, uh, uh, Japanese cultural references in there. That, that's a somewhat different bad news, Barrett. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I tell you what, you make a great fucking uh, a great face, though. Um, the thing so is about um, Ron, I noticed Simmons, about actually. if yeah, if we're doing like um, sort of about the looks of the wrestlers, uh, Izuka. If you if you've watched New Japan in the last few years, 
and you only know him as the cartoonishly evil looking sort of Fu Manchu bearded chap who only yeah. seems to know how to choke people and is forever getting disqualified for putting like putting like this <laughs> weird iron fucking like sex fist onto his onto his <laughs> hand and then and then hit these are, these are sex people in um, and then hitting people <laughs> with it. Um, it's a bit of a shock to see him here. He's pretty sexy. I'm, yeah. good, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a he's a good looking young man. In, in, he really in is. I don't know what the fuck happened, but he looks a bit <laughs> like Takara. He's a handsome yeah. dude. He's got like the he amateur is. background. I mean, I, mean I, I I I had to double check and 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 look it up, and I was like, oh, maybe like you know, Takashi is it is just a really common name, and maybe it's just <laughs> another one. Cause, cause, and then I looked it up, and I was like, no, it's the same bloke. <laughs> Like, like so... fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we um, want to talk a little bit about before we start about? Um, we've talked about Sakuraba's uh, MMA career. Um, huh. What about uh, Takayama's? Because I think he's probably yeah. had as much success in the world of MMA as you possibly can without actually winning a fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, with, without having any discernible. Um, well, well, you know, I mean, obviously he, he could do a little bit of shoot stuff. Um, but even by the standards, you know, of, of like the of his UWFI contemporaries and and his sort of UWF uh, uh, sort of um, you know, he, he was basically trained by Takada, right, Takayama. Yeah. Um, so he's being trained by a guy who is an an excellent shoot style wrestler, um, but perhaps not um, a, a great shoot fighter. Um, if, yeah. if if we're being honest, mm. now Takayama it will probably be most well known to people that aren't you know massively into, uh, into Puro or anything like that um, as the guy that fought Don Fry in oh Pride god. Um, oh my god it's such a tramp fight that is oh my <laughs> god the absolute nick of that fight like it is an absolute <laughs> fucking disgrace but it's, it's probably horrendous. the most entertaining thing I've ever watched in my entire life oh, it's, it's such um, a big show but it's amazing it's incredible fun basically um, you know so Don Pride Fry Pride in a nutshell <laughs> yeah it really is it is the you know um, it, it's the kind of thing that I should, as an MMA purist, disdain um, and say is a, is, is a disgusting, um, you know, um, um, money uh, money grabbing matchup uh, between um, you know a past it uh, Don Fry and um, a frankly just insane, uh, but you know, very sort of a man of very little talent in terms of shooting uh, Takayama. And my God, what ensues is just the most <laughs> insane uh, brawl you, you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it's absolutely. So you may have, you may know him from that. But he's a different kettle yeah. of fish here because he's young. Um, and very gangly. He's, um, he's very gangly. He's in better shape than he, he was um, uh, sort of later on in his career when he got a bit of it. I mean, I'm not one to talk, but he, he did put on a bit of a belly later on. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 it, a guy who would go on to uh, much more fame. Uh, actually have some really good um, matches, actually, the older he got as well. Um, there's some good stuff that he oh, doesn't yeah. know her. Um, some oh, yeah, he's and, awesome um, by, yeah, by <coughs> 2001. Meltzer's always given him shit yeah. and, like, I'm reading some of the 1999 Observers where he's always on about how crap Takayama is when he got to All Japan. I think he's probably a bit like Gary Albright in that he struggled to adapt to the King's Road style. Mm. But yeah, by 2001 definitely. in Noah, he's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's got some really good stuff in, in, in that Noah run. And he's a... By that point, he's a big, lumbering, um, you know, um, hard-hitting, um, you know, um, 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 guy who's just able to take a ton of punishment... Yeah, and, and, and looks like he's he's just walked off the set of some fucking you know um, bizarre uh, kind of um, uh, a western or something like he's just got a, a messed up gunslinging face. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, in terms of this match, then um, that's a bit of background on both guys. What do you guys think of the match? 
I thought it was alright. Um, I think that it felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity to get... I know that when I talk about psychology in wrestling, the psychology in uh, the shoot style stuff is very different to what you would normally expect. You know, I've talked earlier about how you could get German suplex and just completely fucking no-sell it. But um, mm. I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity to work a bit more with the size differential. Because he's Takiyama's not as broad as he'd become, but he's very tall. Certainly by, uh, I think he's six foot five, which by uh, Japanese standards is like fucking gigantic. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like you could have done a bit where he's using his long legs to sort of keep his crew at bay. Um, sort of a bit like you know uh, Stefan Struve in UFC. Yeah. I don't want it to be like Stefan Struve because his fights are always really fucking boring. Oh, but like, God, uh, no, I hate Stefan Struve so much. Oh, he's, he's, he's bullshit. Well done, you... well done, you're seven foot. Nice one. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no interest in that guy's fight, sorry. Like... Oh, no, it's horrendous. But like, I felt like you could have done something a bit like that hmm. and make it entertaining, yeah. <laughs> crucially. Yeah, certainly. Um, for me, this was the match when I felt like a pattern begun to develop um, which would mm. be followed for a lot of the other uh, more underwhelming matches on this card and in this feud in general, which was that there's a lot of early mat work that can basically, and this is the problem with some shoot style, I think, when it when it comes to being matched up um, against uh, sort of more uh, 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 pro stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of mat work that feels like it's just killing time um, yeah. for a big spot that's Absolutely, about to come. Yeah. Now... Um, in some ways, that is what shoot style is, <laughs> but there's a way yeah. of doing it which is better than this. <laughs> because, well, you know, put it this way: there is a lot of mat work uh, to the point where I actually wrote a note saying, about three minutes in, we see an advert from Mild Seven Cigarettes, former sponsor of Benetton <laughs> F1, as well as a Konami logo. And uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of F1, uh, fags and F1, but you know, I, I my my attention wasn't enthralled on this match because I was looking out for fag adverts instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not like, a great sign, is it? No. It's no, it's 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 I noticed a few things that um interested me in terms of modifying tropes from uh your, your more standard wrestling matches. Like there's a bit where Izka does um knee drops to Takayama's leg and he sort of shuffles backwards to escape. Normally you just fucking lie mm. there and take it. Uh, things mm. like that. Um, I enjoyed Izuka's uh, Uranagis. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that, now, you might know that it's a sort of, uh, to give you an example, it's a sort of spinning version of a rock bottom. And that's actually yeah, yeah. a judo throw that got really over from a previous work shoot, which uh, David's very familiar with, which is Inoki versus uh, the former Olympic judo gold medalist Shoda Chojishvili, who introduced yes. the Uranagi to Japanese yes. wrestling, and that got hugely over. Um, Takiyama kicked out at two, and I noticed pin attempts are very rare on this show so far. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a note of that as well. Um, and again, um, I think that probably comes back to this idea that, you know, there's a lot of these guys in there that aren't used to doing pin attempts, um, 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 quite simply. So any pin attempts that that do come tend to come from the, um, the either from the, the, the New Japan guys or it's just a kind of confused mishmash of, uh, of someone lying on top of someone for too long with oh. the shoulders bent. One thing I wanted to mention is that after the mat work, Izuka hits a Northern Light suplex, which is so beautiful, it's fucking art. It's mm. unbelievable. I love it. I love the Northern Light suplex. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but I, oh, I, 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 I made a specific note. On a scale of one to Alicia Fox's Northern Light suplex, because like, I think Alicia Fox is not a good wrestler, but her Northern Light suplex is fucking awesome. <laughs> 
I've I've never noticed that before. I didn't, it's I didn't it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And that, yeah, I, didn't, I, I mean, I'm gonna look it up in a minute. That this, yeah, I mean, this match just goes off the deep end. Fucking hell, when Takeyama just he just goes mental. He just loses his mind and starts chopping <laughs> and kneeing. It was just fucking lettering him, and then Azuka comes back with fucking two T-bone suplexes, and I lose my mind. I'm I'm gone at this point. Mm. It's, oh man, it's just it just get it just a switch goes, and then just mega intense at the end. Yeah, See, this brilliant. Is the, this, this is the thing for me. I thought that 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 stretch at the end, that stretch run, was was really good. Oh and, yeah, and, and it and it totally brought me back in, and it was unhinged, and it seemed realistic, and it was everything that I like. But I Takiyama. just didn't feel. Oh. So no, sorry. Uh, I, I was going to say I just didn't feel that that I didn't feel they'd earned that in, in, no, in some no. respect from me. And mm. I felt kind of pissed off. Do you ever do you ever feel pissed off at yourself? And I get, I do this all the time where it's like something you'll, you'll pop for something in a match. You think, oh, that's great, but then you kind of you, you hate yourself for it because you realise that actually y- y- you've popped in the short term, but in the long term that's actually not. A style of wrestling yeah. that you can really get behind because it's, it's like the um, it's like the RKO, you know, which is an awesome move. It's like, oh yeah, fucking RKO, and then you're like, yeah. wait a minute, like Randy Orton's just wrestled a 15 minutes of a really boring match with yeah, chin yeah. lines. It's been absolute dog shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of that oh, going the, on for me. Uh, the thing I loved at the end was Takiyama screaming his fucking lungs out. He was going yeah. mental in this cross mm. arm breaker. He just just screaming at Azuka when he had this arm breaker on. I love yeah. that. I, and not only does he get the cross arm breaker, but praise be to Anubis, uh, you don't know if I actually get a winner on the board in this series. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but notably, Azuka doesn't tap out. He just no, passes of course out he and the referee rings a bell. Of course. <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. yeah, so again, you've got that, that visual. Um, so at this stage, I think I'm right in thinking we're, we're 2-1 to New Japan. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2-1 yeah. to yeah. New Japan, five matches to go in the series. And... I okay. believe that's the time we said we were going to take a bit of a break and come back for episode five with the rest of this show. fascinating 
I have to bring this up because if I didn't bring this up, everybody online would go crazy. Right. There's a videotape of when Yoji Anjo showed up at your dojo. Yes. And you, you, you know. You, you saw it? Uh, my assistant at the school called me and said, Hickson, some guys here, some Japanese guys are here waiting for you, want to talk to you. And immediately I figured out could, could be that situation. So I put my camera in my hand. Hawkson wants to come in with me. He was about 11 years old. Um, I was going back, driving my car, taping my hands because I know want to be a, so I was putting tape in my hands as I drive in the freeway. When I arrived, I saw a, a van full up with photographers outside. You know, like they, I passing through my parking lot and I saw a cam full of Japanese with cameras, full of reporters inside. So I coming, went through. When I get in the school, I saw a huge, like a tall Japanese guy, very well dressed and a lady. And I immediately, hey, how are you? Oh, Mr. Gracie, I'm the president of the UFO Association. I come here to officially invite you to participate of a fight in Japan. I said, man, are you crazy? I told you I don't want to fight in Japan and under your association. And then he, once I, when I kind of deflect the direction, he said, yeah, but you also said you fight for free for your honor. And she, I said, yes, I'm here to fight. I expect fighting, but you come into negotiation. No, 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 but the fighter is outside. Can, can he come in? I said, yes, he can come in. So I tell my student to say, hey, you stand the door, let the lady with the fighter come in, but don't let the, the reporters come in. Block everybody outside. I didn't know what's going to happen. I don't want to press. So as Angel come in with a, like an ugly face and attitude and stuff, I immediately asked my instructor, said, Limão, grab the, the waiver and tell him to sign. It's like a, if I get hurt, whatever, those waivers. So he looked the waiver with an ugly face and then he spoke with, uh, with his guy in Japanese. And then the Japanese guy said, Mr. Gracie, you mean if he don't sign, you don't fight? Immediately I felt like if I say, yeah, he has to sign, they may leave. And they're going to come in with all the excuses. Oh, he chicken out, whatever, la, 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 la. I immediately said, no, forget the paper. If you come into fight, let's fight. Forget the bureaucracy. Let's, let's make something here more simple. 